0: Mises really emphasized the really mundane accounting management aspects of action because that's what in in Mises's view and in, in my view and people like me economics itself is like studying the implications of human action in a society where money is used as a universal medium of exchange.
1: This is Tracy Greenley with Weekly Fascination. I've got my friend Karis here. We're going to talk about economics. And I have to admit, uh, before we started recording, I'm so ignorant about economics, but. Um, so you could say anything you want, and I'll just nod my head and smile.
0: Yeah, well, you know, being being ignorant is a uh, admitting you're ignorant. If you're ignorant, is a good first step because uh, Murray Rothbard, who's an economist that I that was very influential to me as I learned economics and continues to be. Uh, he's he's been dead for uh, you know uh, 25 years, but um, his works have been important. He he said something funny. He said, uh, "It's no crime to be ignorant of economics, which after all is a specialized discipline." But it is irresponsible to have a loud and vociferous opinion while in a state of ignorance. So (laughs) so, uh, it's much better to be ignorant and admit you're ignorant than to be ignorant and claim to be smart and destroy worlds and economies and and civilization as we know it.
1: So we're starting from a good place. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're we're, we're starting from a good place. So what got you into economics?
0: Yeah, so I I was a um, screenwriting and playwriting major at uh, Drexel University in Philly. Uh, They had a a pretty good program. They had some uh, professionals working in the program. Um, actually the, 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 guy who wrote the, uh, animated movie Anastasia from the nineties. Oh. Have you, do you remember that? Is that a Disney film? It wasn't, but it, it, oh. it, it yeah, yeah, but it looked like one. Yeah. It was, okay. it was like one of the first non-Disney Disney looking films. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I forget the exact studio, but yeah, he, uh, his name is Bruce Graham. He was like one of my professors and stuff. So it was a very, and, uh, yeah, Ian Abrams was also a, a screenwriter. He, he was another professor in that program. So that's why I was attracted to the school because I, I, I made a serious go at that. But, um, you know, after a, a year or two. I was writing these screenplays and they weren't they were technically okay for a student but they didn't have much soul there wasn't there wasn't really much going on I, I, I was honest to myself that like these these aren't amazing <laughs> scripts you know <laughs> I'm not really portraying anything very dramatic it's kind of just mundane stuff well, um,
1: well, how much drama can you write when you're 18 right
0: right yeah yeah so that, that's what made me think like look I don't even know how the world works like who am I to like write these stories about adults in like you know 18th century Russia or whatever like I don't even know anything about like the world and in anywhere right Um, so, uh, it, it made me do some soul searching. Like, what do I really want to do in my life? Do I really like want to go to Hollywood? Like the next year I would have went to Hollywood for like an internship for six months and like fetch coffee for some producers and, you know, and it it made me really research the industry and think hard about like, what do I want for my life? Where do I see myself being successful? Which kind of people should I be around? What's my own talent? Like what's my value added? Like just by my proclivity, my, my, my talents, my natural talent interests. Um, and uh, that that kind of drew me in various directions. I was, you know, doing a lot of literature, history, philosophy, this kind of stuff. Um, and then uh, I was—it was, was twenty twelve at the time, so I was watching the presidential debates um, before the actual race. You know, that that that's year was Obama Romney, but I was watching the Republican debates beforehand, before Romney was, you know, selected. Um, and uh, Ron Paul was running and this guy, you know, it was my first time hearing him. He had run in 2008 and he ran as a libertarian in the 70s also, but you know, this was really my first time experiencing this whole world. And he he talked about being anti-war and he was really harping on that how Iraq was a mistake and, and the c- constant interventions are a mistake. Um and and that was, you know, right right at home with me. But then he's also talking about economics, like free market economics. And I was like, "Hey, I thought they're all evil, right?" Cuz you know, I was a I was a good democratic socialist in high school. I watched Ellen or Michael Moore documentaries. Um but so, so I was kind of like, well, I love this dude. He seems genuine. He seems like a great guy. Um, but, you know, I don't know about this, this other stuff. So let me look into it because I, I was at least o- open at the time. Um, so I so I went online and he talked about Austrian economics was the word he kept using. So I was like, what the, what the hell is Austrian economics? You know, but I, I went online. I looked at um, so some forum somebody posted like, hey, if you if you're interested, read these books in order. So the very first book on that list is, is a common one that's recommended to people who, if they come into, like, if they come to me or if they come to people like me, they'll say, hey, what should I read? And usually the recommendation for the past 50 years or, or more has been read Henry Hazlitt's Economics in One Lesson. Um, and it's it, there's one lesson he begins with, the book, and then the rest of it's just applications in, like, the U.S. at the time. Um, he was writing in the 1940s U.S. at the time. But um, so, so nowadays, some of the examples might be a bit dated, especially for, like, non-Americans you really have no <laughs> reference to like what was going on but 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 the economic logic was is timeless so that that's that was the key to me to read this book at the time it was you know uh, 80 years old almost at the time uh oh no no it was like 60 or so but um and then uh the the lesson the one lesson is that you can't only look at um the scene, but you also have to consider the unseen. You can't just look at the short-run consequence. You have to also look at the consequence in the long run. You can't just look at the, the effect on one person or one party. You have to look at the effect on everyone. So this this lesson, it was not new to Hazlitt. He was just an economic journalist, basically. He worked for the New York Times, um, I, be- I believe Newsweek, and various other... Or he had a very distinguished career. He's a, he was a big deal for a time. Um, but uh, he was just echoing something written by uh, a French political philosopher economist guy named Frederick Bastiat in the 19th century uh, in 1850 it was published it was called that which is seen and that which is not seen so the, the central idea that Hazlitt brought back that, that Bastiat first talked about and then many of the economists that I respect kept alive since Bastiat it, it's not like Hazlitt was the first to say this since Bastiat you know, many, many people were getting to the same thing but Hazlitt was just very precise he's a very good writer because he was a journalist and he, a very good journalist you know so, um Bastiat gave an example at the very beginning of uh this this um essay called "That which is seen that which is not seen in French you know i don't I can't say the French title off the top of my head but um the the basic idea is that imagine some shop owner and then uh his son is is reckless and he throws a stone and it goes through the window of the store uh and then of course the the shop owner is angry because he says, "Oh oh no, like now I have to spend this money to repair the window. I did not wake up today expecting to do this, right. But then um, Bastiat writes, imagine townspeople gather around, oh, oh, oh what, what happened, what happened? Uh, and then he's, he's kind of crying in the, in the front lawn, and they say, oh, don't worry, don't worry, sir, because now your spending to the glazier to repair the window will stimulate the economy. Because so, by, by you spending to, to the glazier to repair the window, then he has more money to spend uh, for his own use, you know. and then they have more money to spend, and blah, 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 and, and our circular flow is going, and every, you know everything's good, right? Um, and Bastiat, his, his central insight in this, in this essay um, was, no, you, you can't just look at what actually happened. You have to consider what would have happened absent this intervention. So if you imagine the, the stone going through the window is like an intervention at some new course of the world. Now the world is out one window. Okay. So, so it happens to be that the, the guy owns that store, so he's the one who has to pay. But he could have used that money for other purposes, whether it's investing in some other thing, whether it's saving whether it was consuming for himself. Um, and, and, of course, if, whenever you use money, um, it's going somewhere. And when you, when you save, of course, there, there, there's you know, stuff going on with savings. And, and people like Keynes, the people who make the argument Bastiat was representing, uh, the, the, the anti what Bastiat was saying, uh, they'll say, oh, no, no, but savings pulls money away from the economy, and that's bad for everybody. Because, uh-huh. But, but we, we can get into savings later as like you know, an economic concept that's important. But, but no matter what he would have done, it, it wouldn't. It's not like the world would have been worse off with, with without. Uh-huh. It's destruction's only destruction is basically the conclusion, right? Okay. So so you might you might have heard this uh, argument a lot that like World War II got us out of the depression and like oh uh, yeah you you like maybe we need to like you know uh, you you grow more after you get bombed and this mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's like no no like the insight of Bastiat is that destruction is destruction. It's like very common sense and simple, yeah. right? It's like you could have done things if you already had your house that wasn't bombed. Maybe you have a nicer newer house after, but you also don't have all these other things you would have had. So maybe. You, you, you could have wrecked your own house. You can do it, right? You can just demolish your house if that's what you determine is your best bet at the time, right? Okay. So just, just because a better, newer house is built after it's wrecked doesn't mean that you're better off than you would have been if it wasn't React. So this idea mm-hmm. of the would-have-been, the counterfactual, is what really opened my eyes and made me, like, mm-hmm. in love with economics, obsessed, and say, like, this is what I need to understand the world, this this counterfactual reasoning. Because uh-huh. we never get it really growing up. I mean, s- some people might come to it naturally, but we, we rarely get taught that, like, you have to think counterfactually, think alternate, like, just because something happened in 2001 and then, then the result was 2002 doesn't mean what happened in 2001 necessarily caused that thing. So uh, you, you have to have what we call theoretical idea to match together the effect and, and the, and the cause. Okay. Yeah. So, so that idea is like maybe reconsider what, what, what do I know at all? Like, is everything I know wrong? You know? So, Mm -hmm. so that's basically how I got started with, with economics from there. That's fascinating. Yeah. And
1: now I know much more about economics than five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, that, that, yeah, that one simple lesson r- makes you just look at the world a different way or it made me look at the world a different way. And, well, totally. and, uh, yeah. And then, yeah, from there, uh, I read more books from that reading list, including one by Rothbard. But but that one, it's called For New Liberty, which I read, which is a typical like um, in- intro to like libertarianism, uh, kind of the American version. Um, and it's, ve- it's very excellent. There's excellent economic analysis in it, but it's more kind of political. So for a while, I was much more into like, the political aspect of, of this kind of uh, way of thinking. But over time, um, I kind of gravitated back towards academia. It just happened to be what I'm, what I'm good at. So, um, and, and what I'm interested in and what I'm passionate about. And, and since that time, I've really focused on the, the pure economics of it. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not so involved with like political theory so much anymore as, as I used to be interested in, but I, you know, I, st- I still know plenty of people who are, and I'm still in that world, but, uh, yeah, mostly for now it's, I'm um, just pure economics and much more advanced than that, that beginning that I, I, I learned, but I, I started off on a good foot <laughs> with, with that simple insight that Hazlitt and uh, Bastiat talked about.
1: Well, this, this is uh, one reason I was so excited to talk to you. My brother took a class from Murray Rothbard.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you mentioned, yeah, at a UNLV, right? Yep. Yep, yeah. He was, he was there for... A- near the end of his life, his last 10 years there, hmm. he had an endowed chair, I believe. He was the wow. S.J. Hall professor, if I remember okay. correctly. Wow. And um, he brought over another guy who, who had come from Germany at the time, Hans Hoppe, who I, th- I think you've heard about. I think you yep. yeah. Hans so Hermann he took Hoppe. Hans Hoppe's uh, That's class My well. brother yeah. took his class too, yeah. yeah. Yep, so uh, they, they kind of represented some Austrian contingent, Austrian economics. Neither were Austrian, but, you know, they, uh, <laughs> it's called Austrian economics because it came from Austria sure. originally. Um, and, yeah, so that, that was a, a unique place for, for 10 years or so it was i think 87 or so they went there and and rothbard died in 95 okay and then hop continued until like 08 or so around then okay and there was some brouhaha like some it was early early like you know uh, cancel culture stuff going on but yeah he said something that a student took offense to or whatever oh boy. You, you, you could look up online but yeah um, oh boy. But, but he's he's happy in turkey right now and he, he runs okay. this conference called property and freedom society you can see mm. the videos
1: online so okay. yeah, every, every year my brother said it was a very special time to be UNLV, I and think so. in fact, he wasn't even studying economics; he was mm. studying uh, hotel management mm. and hospitality. Mm. But he was also doing a—I want to say—a dual degree in finance. Okay. And he said, "Hey, wh- who are these economics professors? I want to take their class." Mm. And and one of them told told him, "He said, normally I don't take people who are not economics majors, mm. but uh, they let my brother in, and he." He loved the classes. Cool, cool. And he learned so much. That's awesome, yeah. yeah. So,
0: so you, you can talk to him next and, and see if, if, yeah, if he yeah. backs up what I say. <laughs> I'm sure he will. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, he got into finance. He ended up doing M&A in Europe. Great, great. And uh, running a couple companies over there and now has a, um, a company where he, he runs restaurants. Cool. cool. And so um, uh, I think he's been very successful, yeah. but uh, I think you know, part of that is probably learning Sound theory of money.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, it helps for sure, and that's something we can talk about a bit too. Is like the the Austrian approach. What what we'll we'll call the Austrian approach. Um, you know, for me,
1: I I almost wish we didn't have to
0: put this you know label on mm. it because it's like I, I consider it just good economics. I don't yeah you know, I just consider economics. But unfortunately nowadays, you know, you you have to really like spe- specify you know mm. so that people understand. But what's called Austrian economics, really, it's really much more practical. It's really um, Mises emphasized this a lot. Mises was Rothbard. He, he wasn't his official professor. Rothbard studied at Columbia, and Mises was teaching at NYU at the end of his life. But you know, but Mises had a seminar, and Rothbard would attend the seminar and became kind of his pupil. That wasn't officially a doctorate student okay. type of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so Mises. Uh, his work is is tied around this concept called like economic calculation, and he, he, Mises was a, a pioneer in, in monetary theory, which is something okay. you want to talk about. So I, I can get into that, but um, Mises really emphasized the really mundane accounting management aspects of action, because because that's what, in in Mises's view, and in in my view, and people like me. Economics itself is like studying the implications of human action in a society where money is used as a universal medium of exchange. So in a society without money, a lot of the same concepts and categories are are there. And and we all do that first. We we do something called a Robinson Crusoe, you know, understanding. So we have this conception of like Crusoe alone on the island. And what is he doing? He's like investing and he's saving and he's doing these things. You know, he's he's growing his capital Mm -hmm. stock and this kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Right. Um so he's he's building you know a, a net so to catch more fish and then yep. he, he's doing this to, to be richer. But really the 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 scope of economics, what, what it's more concerned with is how do we live as a society? Hmm. Look, with, with more than one person, with many people, with complicated structure of production, with all sorts of stuff, we got all these gadgets around us right now. Yeah. You know, like how does this even work at all? Where did this come <laughs> from? How, how does it continue? How do how do we keep going? You know, yeah. it's trying to understand this kind of thing. So um so Mises, by focusing on economic calculation, is basically just saying, like, look, as an entrepreneur, you you what you're concerned with is like, are you going to earn more money than you're spending in some relevant time yeah. window? It's not it's not it's not these mathematical models. What's your ROI? <laughs> yeah, well, your ROI. It, yeah. It's it's really all that's important. Yeah, yeah, just calculating you know time discounted expected return over time, mm-hmm. right? Um, and 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 you have to, but you have to guess the future, which is not yeah. <laughs> we don't know, right? So so the good entrepreneurs just guess correctly. Yeah. Whether they're lucky or not. I you think know. they
1: just make. What do they say in investing? You only have to be right fifty one percent of the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, as long yeah. as long as you minimize your losses, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you don't, yeah, as long as you, as long as the forty nine aren't catastrophic. That's yeah, right. yeah. And uh, I think, yeah, yeah,
1: you know, I know a few entrepreneurs. I've interviewed entrepreneurs, yeah. and uh, I think they're very smart people and very brave. Yes. Yeah. And um, I think uh, sometimes they make like educated or calculated guesses. That's all you can do about and the future. yeah. They're not really. They don't really have a crystal ball, but they mm-hmm. look at the market and they say, "Okay, you know what? People need this, and mm-hmm. people are willing to pay this much." That's, exa- for it. that's
0: exactly what happens. Yeah, yeah. So you basically entrepreneurs, Mises called it appraisal. So they say, "Look, I am imagining in my in my head that at this date in the future, you know, this range of dates in the future." this many consumers or whatever will be willing to spend this amount of money on this array of things I'm imagining, whether or not mm. they were made before or whether they're brand new or whether they're, whether they're made more efficiently or whether, whether they just never existed in the first place, whatever okay. is being produced, whatever it is, they, they have to just guess. Like, I think mm. I can spend this much up front for the next this many months and I can still earn back enough. And if not, then you go, you go under and nothing you can You're do, right? bankrupt, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, um, so, so that, that, that practical element has always been there. In the Austrian School, Karl Menger, who was the founder of the Austrian School, that's why it's called the Austrian Schools because Menger was an Austrian. Okay, who um, was in the Austrian Empire? He was actually born, I, th- I think, in modern Poland. But anyway, okay. uh, but but you know, at the time it was kind of you know just so language groups. It was, we have a
1: lot of people who are not Austrian.
0: Well, he, <laughs> in Austrian, he, he economics. was Austrian by nationality, okay. and it's just today you know maybe even Mises was born in modern Ukraine. You know, but okay. but at the time it's all the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So I get it. Um, but uh, Menger. What, what he was reacting to, he was an economic journalist. He was also a journalist. So there's a lot of, like, journalism aspect mm. going on, a lot of more practical, you know, stuff.
1: And the old type of journalist, right? Like, the... Inves, investigative reporting that people, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. people who'd go out in the field and interview yeah.
0: people, right? Uh, well, he, he he was more into like economic journalism. So okay. he he was like doing like price. He was like more like a Wall Street Journal writer, but like uh. in, in those pages at the end that nobody reads, like only, <laughs> only the traders read about like how how the prices of wheat futures are moving and this yeah, kind yeah. of thing, right? I, I don't know. I haven't read. It's all in German only. I, I haven't read okay. any of his. I've read all of his work that's been translated to English, but I, I haven't mm. read. Unfortunately, I'm not German uh, sufficient yet. But um, he. He basically, he was doing this job and he's like, hey, like I, and then he said, hey, I want to understand like where these prices come from. Like what, what, what are these prices? You know, what are they? What, Mm. um, what do they mean? Um, and then he, he looked at all the textbooks at the time in Germany. He's like, this is like, just not, you know, he's like, this doesn't explain anything Uh, because he he was actually a practitioner and he's like, well, this isn't useful. So then he kind of hit the books himself Mm. and he was reading a lot of philosophy and sociology and all this stuff. Um, and then he, uh. He said, hey, now I know where prices come from. Price is, it's very simple now. It's going it's to sound obvious, too, but he's like, hey, prices come from human valuation, the subjective valuation. That like, like It's a human deciding that this thing is worth more than this amount of money or more than this thing in barter to me, right? Mm. So when you buy an iPhone, you're like, this iphone to me is worth more than $600. We don't we don't know exactly. It doesn't mean iphone equals $600. So that that's a common pitfall even among economists. Mm. They think they think exchange is an equality. They they say, "Oh, hmm. well we we um we did this, so then that equals that." And and somehow that in in people's minds that becomes some like metaphysical truth that like, uh. "Oh, for all time it must equal that." It's like, "No, no, no. All prices mean is that at that moment in time, the person paying the money preferred the object received to the amount of money spent and the person Giving them mm-hmm. the object prefers the money received to the object that was, you know, sold. So it's uh, fair. It's an inequality. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, you wouldn't do it assuming it's voluntary, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. by definition, you wouldn't yeah. do it unless you prefer it. Right.
1: Okay. Um, so I prefer lunch more than I prefer this thousand yen in my pocket. Sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. But, but we don't know. That doesn't mean you wouldn't have paid more. I you know, maybe, maybe you I got, paid hey, maybe, maybe, <laughs> but maybe you're like, Hey, even for that lunch, I paid a thousand for, maybe I would have paid 1500, but don't tell them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they, they have to, they have to tell you, Oh, 1500, yeah. then you decide. Right. But, mm. uh, so, 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 so it's all inequalities. It's just each party gets an inequality. I prefer this to that, this to that. And this mm. was, this was one of the big insights that distinguishes the Austrian school from other schools. Mm. It seems very simple, but, but a lot of them, like uh, Leon Walras, was a, a Swiss French economist. Okay. And he basically brought in like the mathematical tradition of economics, mm. uh, um, and, and in some ways, his approach, besides the math, resembled a bit of what Menger was doing. But even Menger himself in letters to Walrat was saying, actually, no, you're not getting at the core of our science because you're focusing only on, the, on these uh, imaginary equilibrium conditions with equality signs. Uh-huh. When for Manger, it actually, it's all inequality signs. There's no equality mm-hmm. signs going on in, in human life, right? So in, by inequality, you mean that?
1: This is worth more to me than the money Yes, exactly. Pocket.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. so yeah. yeah. This more than that. Every, every choice we make, uh, in our, even, even without the money-using economy. Like I mentioned, you know, economics is about mm-hmm. the money-using economy. Even without that,
1: this is human action what it is. It's saying, I prefer this to that. Sure. Well, but, if I have water, and mm-hmm. the Robinson Crusoe sure, sure, yeah. uh, example, if I have water and he has fish, then the fish is worth more to me than the water I have. It could be. So yeah. I'll, <laughs> It could <laughs> yeah, be. Yeah, so yeah. I'll then trade him trade what him. I have sure. for what he has. Yep. And then it's worth more to me than what I sure. have. So.
0: And, and another key insight of Manger, since we're on Manger, it, uh, was he solved this issue that, that, that uh, was an issue for the classical economists. So um, a lot of people think, like, oh, Adam Smith made econo- founded economics and David Ricardo and John Stuart Mill. And, and they were excellent economists for their time. But they, they were kind of held down by this, this value theory they had where they considered things e- equivalents in a sense. And, and, they, and they thought they, they kind of had this sense of, like, labor. Uh, imparting ah. value to objects, right? Whereas, actually, from the Austrian point of view, I mean, l- labor is whatever. All that matters is what someone will pay for it, right? So, ah. work as much as you want; it doesn't really matter. If I don't like, you, <laughs> know, you can use a spoon to dig up the, the sidewalk, but you could have just used a shovel, and like, it's better off, right? Sure. So, so we're better off using less labor in a sense, right? Mm. Um, but, um, but, but they were they were stuck on this problem called the the paradox of of, of values, the water diamond paradox. And they said, look, like humans need water, and mm. they don't need diamonds in the same mm. physiological way, right? So why is it that when we look into the world, diamonds are selling for this crazy amount of money yeah. and water is like nothing, right? And this really, this really was, was an issue in economics, and and this this issue per- persists in like Marxism today. So Mar- Marx was like the final classical economist in a sense, because hmm. they have this labor theory approach where they, they can't understand like the connection between prices and value. They, they have all sorts of convoluted definitions, and I'm I'm not doing justice to like the way they define stuff yeah. like socially necessary average labor time, this kind of thing. But 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 uh, basically, the Austrians were in opposition to this this whole approach. It was a refinement. So Mises saw himself refining. Smith and, and Ricardo and, and okay. these people. And Manger did as well. Manger wasn't trying to like throw out everything. He just said, hey, this is the logical extension. This is just this is the, uh, the correction to this error that, that unfortunately permeated the discipline before. So what, what Manger pointed out, which is really key and which is what, what made me think of what you were saying about the, you know, trading, is that what you're trading is you're trading very specific quantities. You're not just trading water and fish, right? You're trading yeah. two fish for a liter of water, yeah. something like this, right? Or whatever it is in your environment, right? And, and this is kind of the key: this fi- this finite element of things is like the key to like unlocking economics uh, and the counterfactual, you know, this kind of thing. So, um, so understanding that what you're doing is trading finite quantities, and when you do that, you're trading it's an inequality of valuation, meaning I value more than that, and you value mm-hmm. more than that, and and then we're both better off, and we both okay. walk away happy. That's what the market is. It's this okay. network of these
1: mutually beneficial yeah.
0: inequalities of valuation. Yeah. Yeah, so um,
1: so it's funny cuz when i hear inequality i think of like uh, you know yeah. inequality like this person has a uh. Uh, a stronger position so mm-hmm. they're able to like take advantage of the other right, person right. but just to clarify inequality is like this is worth more to me. Yeah. I mean, your, I mean, inequality of
0: valuation, meaning like I prefer this to that. You yeah. prefer that to this. Mm-hmm. So it's we're both fair, better off. Yeah. But yeah. But actually, no, that, that is it's good you brought that up because that's a very common um, retort. You know, mm-hmm. I, I heard it a lot in my class discussions and stuff, you know. Um, oh, but like what happens if this person's starving and then this person has all this money and it's like, oh, they can just extort. It's like, yeah, that it doesn't mean that like the range in which the prices is forms is, is indeterminate. For a, th- for a theoretician. Like, I can't say as an economist, as an economic theorist, like, what the price of a liter of water will be. Yeah. All we know is if you did the thing, you preferred drinking the water to not dying. Okay. right? So, so we can have discussions about, like, why was that person in such a vulnerable position in the first mm-hmm. place, whether by their fault or not their fault or, you know, whatever. Sure. What, what could be done ar- around them institutionally? Um, that, that's a, that, that's a, a perfectly fair conversation, but irrelevant to economic theory per se.
1: You so know, economics could, seems to be more neutral then.
0: It, right. it is yeah so yeah the general the general idea is it's it's neutral to your value so this is what mises always said he said I, I cannot tell a man that he should drink water instead of wine i can only say that if i were in his position i would not do the same but but mm-hmm. it's, it's simply saying if you do this then you preferred what you did to alternatives you could have done
1: mm-hmm. we just
0: say so it doesn't say you sh- it, the, the ethics is a different component mm-hmm. um It. it yeah, you know, so, so that, that's kind of where the sciences can be demarcated yeah okay but that, that doesn't mean you have to be completely oblivious to it. It just means within economics per se, those other features are just incidental. Uh, it's, it's not essential to what economics is. And this is kind of where philosophy comes into because Menger himself was very influenced by Aristotle and like scholastic philosophy, okay. which was brought through Germany by like Franz Brentano, I believe. But anyway, there, there's a long history there. Um, and so he he was really getting down to the essences of phenomena, like mm. how, like and which is what I was interested in, which is why yeah. I was so drawn to this approach. Yeah. Whereas a lot of other people, they, they, they kind of aren't interested in that or they kind of deny it. Um, I can't represent the different philosophical schools that well, but it's kind of like a realist school versus a nominalist school in kind of, these kind of issues where um, other people aren't so interested in the essence. They say, oh, we, we can never understand the essences of things, so let's just deal with this world of correlations and stuff, which is what I said from the beginning. You, you really can't do it. You have to get yeah. down as much as you can. So that, that's why I was so drawn to this Mangrumesis approach, this Austrian approach mm-hmm. to economics. That's why I, I teach it so much and I advocate for it so much because I, I think it's really the key to like making the world better. Like If people understood this, the, the world would be yeah. better. Yeah.
1: And, uh, <laughs> well, it just seems so, as you explaining these concepts and, and i had read or maybe watched sorry when i say read a lot of times i saw it on youtube <laughs> the, or the caption you read the caption yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know so uh like when i say japan i actually mean tokyo uh, yeah. but when i say i read something a lot of times i saw i heard it on a podcast or saw it on a youtube video or something but i had heard this thing about the broken window mm-hmm. and i thought well you know yeah that means people spend money there's there's an old story of a guy and it's from like one of those positive thinking books of the the um, customer who comes into the to the tire shop or the the gas station and says like oh it's raining isn't that terrible and, and the owner says no that's a good thing mm. because when it rains uh, it. yeah um, the the mud dissolves and then the nails come out and then people drive over nails <laughs> and they need new tires right right. right. And uh, I thought, wow, that's, you know, he's got like a rose-colored glasses. He's looking well, at, like, <laughs> you know. Oh, and then they, they buy more tires, and then <laughs> I buy clothes for my kids. And then it was the whole thing about yeah, the window. Yeah, yeah, exactly. and yeah, yeah. How Like the circular it flow of spending. starts off that it circular yeah. flow yeah. of spending. But wh- how would they have been if they hadn't, Pop their tire <laughs> right, right, right. at sixty miles an yeah. hour on the freeway. That yeah. might, might have been right. in a much better place. So. so, so
0: this is a key too: is like some people benefit from everything. Some, was, uh, like so, 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 it's not the case that like everybody is worse off in the near term. Um, Mises had this concept called like the long run well being, meaning like eventually you would have been even the tire shop owner hmm. would have been better off eventually, just hmm. in, in material prosperity terms. Yeah. If if the, these tires weren't being, but it wouldn't be so immediate. So, like for for uh, for a tire shop guy. He, he's better off relative to everyone else. He's getting the cash first, yeah. right? So so he is better off than other people in a relative sense, right? Oh, so yeah. so Mises tried to say, look, like, yeah, that that's true. And that's why you always have to be careful when you look at policies. Like, who's actually benefiting from this policy, right? Mm-hmm. But but in the long run, uh, because exchange is, is positive sum, because everyone's better off on voluntary exchange, right? Mm-hmm. Over some amount of time, we don't know how long the amount of time. And actually, this long-run, short-run distinction is not so important to Austrians, but just eventually, let's say, you know, okay, uh, just preserving your capital stock, preserving your wealth today and building off of it will always be better off for everybody than, Uh, than attacking each other. Even if there's one King of the heap (laughs) of of the, uh, of the the trash heap later, you know, it's just a relative thing for them that, Oh, I'll be richer than they would have been.
1: Yeah. So I had a list of questions and and, um, some things to understand that kind of might help frame the conversation a little Mm -hmm. bit too, is, um, a few things that, um, words that we use every single day, Mm -hmm. Like money, mm, yeah. Does economics explain money? Yeah. Well, what I, is money?
0: It, it's uh, it's sort of a matter of definition. But again, this gets to this, this essential versus you know. So so uh, I can represent the Austrian view of money, okay. and I can even indicate some other views that I think are wrong, and I can explain why I think they're wrong. But um, the Austrian definition of money, which is basically just a normal definition of money, mm. is the commonly used medium of exchange. Meaning, if uh you know you know a medium of exchange, meaning like. Uh, Instead of trading directly, like, apples for oranges, you mm. trade apples for gold, gold for oranges. So the gold okay. in that case is the media of exchange. The exchange mm. goes through the medium, you know? Okay. So that, that's that's the concept of the media of exchange. Money itself, so um, th- this gets into, like, economic theory deeply, but M- Mises uh, kind of clarified Menger's approach, and he, he called the new unified science of economics, called uh, like, praxeology, the science of human action, which is a little broader than economics narrowly, okay. like, the... In, action in the money using economy but praxeology is just the science of human action so it's the implications of the structure of human action meaning you 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 use means to achieve ends so uh medium of exchange in in praxeology is a very rigorous definite concept we we can we can analytically say yes this was a medium of exchange in this circumstance because you you traded through it you didn't you didn't the, the thing you traded for first you didn't use or consume you traded it again so so we can define that as medium of exchange, right? Money though is, is is looser. Money there's a there's some there's some judgment involved with what's money. So mm-hmm. like for example like is the Japanese yen money? Where we are yes, because you can just walk anywhere yeah. you want, right? If you're in New York City, is Japanese yen money? Probably not, because you can't just walk to any store and, and you can't true. use it, right? Uh, is is uh, cryptocurrency of any sort is that money here? Well, you can go online and you can you know you use services and sure. you, you can you can but I mean. It's kind of a judgment, not not really, right? Because you can't just walk to the stores. That's you know, true, you, you know, yeah. We go to the Bitcoin Cash meetup in Tokyo, but uh, there's there's you know there's quite a few stores that we, we use it at. Mm-hmm. But um, come on, you, you you can't go to most restaurants today and use it. That's true. So yeah. so I think when you're being fair, you would just judge it to say no. Like right now, yen is the only money in in this mm-hmm. geographic region. But it's all, also very contextual and specific. It's not it's not so pure as saying medium of exchange. It's like ah. you know you know what I mean. Um, so 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 there's room there's wiggle room about like what is a money at a time, but. Conceptually, we can say a money is the generally accepted medium of exchange in, okay. in a given place at a given time.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: cows were a money in yeah. ancient Greece, and you know seashells were money in certain societies, And it's, but it's all just contextual. But there, it's not an intrinsic characteristic of the good to be money. It's
1: only what humans use it for. Uh, so this, so I, I just finished reading um, Empire of the Summer Moon. It was about the Comanches and the, okay. the people settling like Texas. And mm-hmm. at the time, horses okay. yep. were a medium of yep. exchange. Great. Yep. Yep. right.
0: Yep. So, so, so a lot of people think, oh, the, the money must be durable, divisible, portable, fungible, this kind of thing. It's like, sure, those features definitely are beneficial to something being money, but those aren't the definitions of money per se. It's just like incidental, empirical features that happen to be okay. useful. Like, I'm, I'm not. There's no denying that they're useful at all. That yeah. th- these things make a good money. They tend to in history. Like, we can be, we can be logical. And say, yeah, in history, we've seen that, mm-hmm. right? But per se, it doesn't really matter. Like, if people all just kind of go nuts from our modern point of view and just want to trade, like like literally like sand and they're just like bottling up sand, even though there's so much of it for some reason, if they want to trade it, whatever, like (laughs) that, this is that value neutrality. Like we can't, it, it, they're uh, not wrong to do it. We just we just would think it's kind of weird, right? Yeah. But it could anything could be money if, if it's sure. scarce and if it's demanded by people and treated it, treated it as such. So that's where that subjective valuation element always it always comes back to that. Mm-hmm. It always comes back to how humans perceive the world, how they value objects relative to each other, mm-hmm. and then how they exchange accordingly to that. And that's really just the foundation of everything. Okay. So so money the same way it gets traced back to those subjective valuations. Nothing special uh it's nothing that uh, menger wrote essays about money he he was a kind of an expert on on monetary theory at the time and and mises continued that specialty um and menger uh wrote about the origin of money saying like where did money even come from because the common view then and now menger was writing in in the late 1700s early 1800s um and uh the the common view was money was just created by the government they just said let, let there be money and then suddenly there's money right uh, and, and today people say oh, well because there was there was tax they, 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 they spent oh, the money out and then they tax it back and that gives the money value whatever yeah. and Menger you know even back then said no 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 like people must intellectually grasp a medium of exchange first you have to understand the concept of trading through something else because we, uh, we, e- we don't know, because, like, the historical record, we don't, we don't know what these earliest humans did, right? Yeah. But, but we, have, we have to imagine that, like, they were just trading uh, this for this, uh, 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 you, know, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, trading things, right? And then, um, you know, apple for orange or, you know, this mm-hmm. for that. But then somebody, somebody or many people, who knows, like, exactly the amount of people and who first, but they, they kind of woke up. They're like, whoa, I can, like, it's, it's hard for me to get this thing I want because the guy who has what I want doesn't want what I have. So let's say I want, like, a, a nice shiny new sword, but I've got a bunch of eggs, and, like, the guy doesn't like eggs. <laughs> it's like, what are you what are you going to do? Like, he's the only yeah. blacksmith in the town. How yeah. am I going to get the sword, right? But it's like, hey, the, he, what he does want is he wants a horse. So I can go trade these eggs for a horse. I can uh, get a crap load of eggs and then yeah. trade trade for a horse, and then he wants that horse for the sword. I can do that. So so even intellectually grasping this is mm. a big first step, right? So what Manger is arguing is that, like, it has to come from an individual... Value judgment first to say, oh, I I want this and I'm, I'm demanding this to be used as a medium of exchange. Mm. And then money again is just the generally accepted one. So it's just medium of exchange that's scaled up. So if we were
1: to use fiat currency in that situation Mm. where, okay, I have eggs, this guy has a horse, this guy has a, a sword. If we just use fiat currency, then in that case, then I can just go buy the sword yeah so 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 this
0: is part of the the manger mises kind of hmm. origin of money story where the fiat money like it could have been the case that people for some reason valued paper for like ornamental use or whatever uh, but th- that isn't what happened what happened was people got gold and silver because gold and silver yeah. had actual like mm. you know use and and look pretty and all this stuff they're you know.
1: rare well, sure, mean, sure sure yeah they're supposed yeah. to be <laughs>
0: yeah yeah and then they're, they're durable divisible portable blah 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 blah, blah right okay um so it, it just you know whether or not anyone likes it um they happened, gold and silver happened to be world monies forever, basically, wherever they okay. were, you know, um, since, since a certain amount of time, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, over time, governments, uh, th- th- this story is um, told really well in this uh, little pamphlet Rothbard wrote. It's free on Mises.org online. Um, it's called uh, What Has Government Done to Our Money? And he goes through the history of, like, uh, it's a very brief, it's, very, it's written for, like, um, intermediates or, like, advanced beginners, kind of. Mm-hmm. And, and he explains over time, so you had gold and silver as money. And then what governments did is they they defined the, their national monetary unit in terms of weights of gold and silver. So they literally just say like uh, an ounce of gold is worth this amount of our paper. But that doesn't mean that it just means that they are defining it that way, and and that's what those trade for on you know like you know. Uh, in banks and stuff, right. by, by some legal, legal exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, but then over time, even that connection slips because, because it's beneficial to someone to make money first. You, you uh. if, if, if you had a money printer and only you, you, mm-hmm. you, you understand you would be really well off compared to everyone Ooh, else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause, cause the, the, the prices in the whole economy don't change first. You would be the first one spending on the old price before all the prices adjust to the new quantity of money. Right. So, 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 Governments, of course, or anybody really, but your governments happen to have this, you know, legal this privilege in press, our society yeah. where they say, "Hey, like, wouldn't it be great? We could finance our wars if we could just print our own money, because then, because then, they don't have to worry mm-hmm. about." taking resources from the economy so the way wars were fought before fiat currency yeah. was you had you had to literally just like conscript people or like yeah. do stuff you, you had to pay for stuff you know you had to raise an army you had to yeah you had to you resources. had to bid away those resources from what they would have been used for uh, right but but if you if you're just printing up cash then it's like hey i can just print up more and, and bid away all the resources right like it's easy right so so uh, i am getting into their heads this is a bit psych- psychologizing right like mm-hmm. why but you can understand why it's very uh, appealing to governments to take over this monetary function right so Menger and Mises are, are saying, no, no, like the origin of money wasn't just government slapping down paper and being like, you're using this now. You uh, know, it was people gradually awakening step by step okay. to, to um, this uh, benefit of using indirect exchange. Mm. And then over time, as, as people use indirect exchange, those goods that were used indirectly get more and more value and demand in a sense because they're, they're, people are willing to spend more by definition of people. Mm. So if, if I didn't know... That the the blacksmith with a sword wanted the horse. Maybe I wouldn't have wanted the horse. So by yeah. me even demanding the horse, I'm driving the price up over time. So as more and more people, uh. as more as more people see what's being used as the medium, yeah. more and more people demand it as the medium. So eventually, there's just like you know one two uh, or three. Okay. You know. So generally in history, it was gold and silver. And then due to a lot of funny business with the way governments uh, set exchange ratios, silver fell out, you know, because they, they, were, they were setting a, a definite ratio between gold and silver. But the issue is when, when production of gold or silver would change or when demand of gold or silver would change, um, that, that ratio that the government declared would no longer be the correct ratio, right? Uh-huh. So, so then if, if, the, if the silver you're holding is worth more than it's fetching mm-hmm. according to the government defined exchange ratio then you're just going to hold on to the silver. You'll only yeah. use the gold. So then over time, people were only using the gold mm-hmm. because of the mismatch in, in the... Val- so if the government let it be, we don't know if silver would or would not have stayed as, as a currency. A lot of people, especially in like crypto space, they have this narrative that like silver was naturally demonetized. It's actually not true. Mm-hmm. It was unnaturally demonetized, but that doesn't mean it would not have been demonetized. It could have been. Yeah. We, we just don't know because we didn't, we, didn't exper- we didn't see the history play out. We, it, it just stopped when government messed up and and okay. and well they didn't mess up from their point of view but you know from 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 a from a value neutral angle you know they they um they forced they basically caused silver to to stop being used as money um okay. and but then over time now gold is money but then suddenly oh you know roosevelt makes gold legal <laughs> and then and then, oh, and then they brought back this kind of like quasi gold standard thing but only foreign governments could exchange for like large amounts of bullion Mm. so so there was this loose tenuous tie to gold and the bread bread, and then that just collapsed for for various reasons that weren't the natural result of having gold as the money you know this is all just government Mm. meddling and this rothbard pamphlet uh would would be helpful um to understand this but but but, yeah so today we have fiat currency so this gets to your point so so today yeah like they are money for sure like it's, it's not that we can say um you know uh Japanese yen is not money because hey, I'm a good Austrian and like you know, I I know that uh, it's not gold and we but no like anything could be money if it's demanded and treated as such by people right that that's mm-hmm. really what it comes down to but historically we can trace that back would 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 paper yen have been money without gold or silver probably not but we can't say for sure but like you know most likely not right um so so that's kind of how to deal with that situation yeah okay so um what is inflation yeah so this this is this is a deeper question than you imagine. (laughs) Maybe you do imagine because you hear the way that the word recession keeps getting redefined and everything. So inflation is another one of these words that just keeps getting redefined over time. Um, and Mises makes this point clearly, and I think in human action, but you know elsewhere mm-hmm. in his work, in his speeches and stuff, he always talked about the need to like return to the original definition and and hold fast to the original definition because because there's like concept loss as you keep changing the definition, uh, yeah. right? because because yeah, uh, as words change, the definition of words change. you know, you're losing some of the <laughs> some of the implications yeah. of the old word. So originally, or at least before, I don't know, the first use ever in the in the world, but at some point, and for a long time, inflation meant, an increase in the money supply, basically. Um, That makes sense. Rothbard defined it as an increase in money supply over specie reserves. Um, So there are different ways to define this. This gets into the weeds and stuff. But if you just imagine, let's say there's a a gold standard, there's gold, use gold as money. And then there's bank notes that represent gold, just saying, hey, this is worth one ounce of gold. And then I could just trade with you. Mm. But we could always just run back to the bank and and get the gold back, right? If, If the bank makes more of those notes, then there is corresponding... Quantity of gold. So if there's notes for 10,000 ounces of gold, but there's only 9,900 ounces of gold, it, then we would say that, that was inflation in the Rothbardian definition. Um, you know, Mises had a slightly different definition earlier in his, in his um, writing, and I forget exactly how he defines it in human action, but anyway, there, there are He's, different ways to define it. But basically, it's either the increase in money, period, or increase in money above specie reserves. Pick your poison between those, right? So uh, from there, though, people started saying, no, 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 uh, inflation is when prices go up across that's the what board, I was right? that, so That's was that, like today clue people clue people clue. generally think this right yeah. um as i learned a few days ago even this is out of favor apparently now <laughs> so 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 yeah so Mises objected to that that second definition that oh it's just prices going up because no that's the that's the symptom of inflation of the original inflation right so but so, if everybody suddenly thinks oh inflation is is only when prices go up it, it kind of masks the cause you're like well why are prices going up and that's what's going on today right people are wondering oh what's causing it is it this is it this is it this and it's like well look prices go up for it can go up for a few reasons. So either the supply of stuff just shrunk, which could have been the case recently because we had lockdowns. We have, we have geopolitical turmoil going on, right? Supply chain issues. So that, 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 that that could be an element, right? Mm. But, but that tends to be sector specific, you know, it, it will tend to be, but anyway, this is all empirical kind of incidental stuff, right? Or, uh, it could be that the uh, demand for goods went up, so people are spending more money, so mm. previously they were holding on to more money, they were saving more mm. they, they were they were in, in their wallets under the mattress you know um, or they're just spending more, so then prices are going up but so and that's not from that's not from money inflation that's just simply price going up because people's demand for goods went up and their demand for cash balance went down
1: and it might make sense that if we're coming out of a lockdown and people are going out and spending more money that we have that money chasing fewer goods because of the supply chain.
0: Right, right. But, but there's also much more money in people's pockets than before, right? Cuz we're getting uh, these stimmy checks, you know, yep. the, the stimulus checks, right? So it's true the, the, all these that's why we can't just say there's one factor, right? But we do know when you increase the quantity of money, like definitionally, then the prices will be higher than they otherwise would have been. This is where this counterfactual comes in. This is why the counterfactual is so key, right? Mm-hmm. Because what people, what economists will do today is they're they're all obsessed with econometric testing and everything, right? So they say, oh well, when we increase when, when money supply increased by ten percent, prices didn't increase. So so that means, haha, you you old old fashioned economists, you're totally wrong. You're 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 doctrinaire old-fashioned, you know, yeah. and, and, and you're just off. You're not you're not empirical. You're not scientific because you're not measuring changes. It's like, hold on, but we don't know exactly what's going on in the meantime. So was it the case that people uh, wanted to hold more money? So maybe all this new money that went out, if every single person did nothing with it, prices mm. would not have risen, right? If everybody got their stimulus check and just shredded, the, shredded the cash, right, mm. of course prices wouldn't have risen, right? It was not effective. Mm. It was not effective. It didn't go out there. It wasn't spent, right? Um, but if they hold it who knows how long they're going to hold it. So maybe they hold on to it and then they spend it a year later. And then suddenly then you see the prices rising, but by then it's a year later. So then are, are people going to empirically connect? Oh, it was that stimulus a year ago. And then they just happen to decide all uniformly for some reason in our, in our thought experiment right now that yeah. they're all spending it a year later or, or was it the supply chain issue or was it this or was it that, you know, there, there's so many things and there's so much room for different stories going on. Right. Yeah. So that's why for the Austrian perspective, you really have to drill down to like, what can we know for Sure. And then, and then how do we use that to interpret the world as it exists? Mm. So I know for sure, I can say, I can argue with, as sure as I can know anything, that when you increase the quantity of money, prices will be higher than they would have been otherwise, mm. leaving everything else like constant, which is not, of course, the way the world works because everything doesn't stay constant, which is the problem, right? Um, which is why some people like hate this kind of reasoning because they say, oh, well, it's useless then because what are you saying? It's like, no, no, it's useful because it tells you if you don't want higher prices, then don't, don't pump out more money because pumping out more money per se doesn't help Anything, it helps the people who get it first for sure, right? But but having more money isn't useful because the price will just adjust to how much money you have, right? So if if you have a hundred bucks and you want to buy lunch, you'll spend whatever. If you have a thousand bucks. Then and and everyone has a thousand bucks, and when they had a hundred before, then the lunch will just be cost more. Every the cost will just be driven up, right?
1: The restaurants will clue in and say, "Hey, these <laughs> yeah, guys yeah. all have a thousand bucks in their pocket." Uh, yeah, That's and, and also is. like
0: um, people will be willing to bid more for for uh, f- uh, and the supply chain, like w- throughout the whole uh. supply chain. So when they're uh, you know just it, it's it's the matching between the quantity of money out there, the demands of people, and, and the quantity of stuff out there at the time, you know, and you're just it's, it's called the the, the um uh, it's called it the mo- the money relation, the demand for and supply of money. And, and that, that, that's, that's what determines the, the height of the purchasing power of money. So when you increase the supply, you're, you're increasing the, you know, it's the same as any demand and supply analysis yeah. would work, right? Same thing. Um, but, but that analysis itself, people don't understand, is counterfactual. It's, so, so people think, like, oh, if you increase supply, like, price will definitely go up. It's like, it'll be higher than it would have been, but it could be that other factors are pushing mm-hmm. other things differently, right? So, so where things shake out in the real world, that, that takes, it's a matter of judgment. We, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a historical judgment. Whereas theoretically, all we know is that prices would have been lower, all else equal, if the new money wasn't pumped in. Right? Um, there's no there's no social net benefit to more money, as there is there there is social net benefit to more more goods as long uh, as people demand them. Right? But having more money per se, leaving aside non monetary use of the money, right? It doesn't. It only helps out the first receivers at the expense of later receivers. So some people benefit, okay. some people are hurt. But it doesn't make us richer to have more paper, right? Uh, Um, And this is kind of a key insight that a lot of modern people don't get. And it's causing a lot of trouble in the world, basically. Um, yeah, because cause it's, it's, it's inconvenient to have this kind of truth, right, <laughs> that, 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 uh, <laughs> that, that you're, you're not better off with more money in the world.
1: But know? there are people right now thinking, I wish I hadn't heard that segment. Like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It,
0: no, it, it's definitely it, it's a double edged sword to learn this kind of stuff, because then you, you see what's going on in the world and you get kind of sad. You know, a lot a lot of a lot of my heroes, you know, like Manger and, and, and Mises's Professor Bambawerk. Eugen von he was the finance minister in Austria, austro hungarian ap- Empire for a while. He's even on one of the one of the Austrian shillings today. His his, mm. his face, you know. So he was kind of a big deal. But um, and he he was the one who really like uh, criticized the Marxism as a system, like really deeply and kind of like you know uh, very exhaustively in the in the late eighteen hundreds. But um, these guys, they were all like very depressed because they were like watching their their glorious pre World War I society just like dissolve in front of their eyes from bad policies so so, mm. so they basically traced they, they said look yeah there's going to be a war because um people aren't cooperating anymore there's no there's no uh, the trade is being stunted bad ideologies are in, in the world so mm. th- there there's some parallels to today you know where if people th- there's a expression and i'm not sure to what degree it's apocryphal and who exactly said it sometimes it's ascribed to bastiat the guy i mentioned before okay. but the, the the saying is if goods don't cross borders soldiers will Ooh. Meaning, meaning when you trade yeah you're both better off right but if you're not going to trade hey why not just take what that guy's got cuz like Hey, I'm not going to get it anyway and like it looks pretty good over there, right? Like I, yeah. I can just take it and like I got more than I had before, like you know,
1: yeah. minus yeah. the expense of the war, but you know, like but wasn't there a I've heard this said many ways. I'm I'm going to get it wrong, but um wasn't there somebody said once that two countries who have a McDonald's never end up going to war?
0: I think there is some kind of yeah, there's some kind of saying like, yeah. that. and it's, it's it's roughly the same idea, right? Yeah. Where so it, it's like once you're so integrated, it's tough, and, and it's ironic because you know with this, yeah. this current conflict in Russia, like they, the McDonald's left, right? Yeah. <laughs> so 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 I want you know, uh, but but they did have you know so but anyway, yeah, there's there's stuff to be said for that, and of course a lot of people will respond being like, well, there's 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 wars and blah blah blah. That was a false premise that if you just increase internationalization, and you know there, there's there's stuff going on there. There's, it's complicated, yeah, for sure. But but for sure we can say, which is logically like, yeah, when you when you're trading with somebody and you're benefiting from their existence and, like, you're yeah. producing on your plot of land and I'm producing on my plot of land and we're trading, mm-hmm. we're less likely to, like, be at each other's throats because we're benefiting yeah. from each other. It's just, yeah. it, and this was one of Mises' key insights, which, which maybe is worth talking about. He, he generalized what David Ricardo had written. As I said, Mises wasn't he, – he liked the classical economists. He's not saying, oh, I'm, like, everything's new and, you know, these guys are stupid. He's like, you know, like, no, no, they, they were amazing for their time and he's building off of them, right? So, Ricardo, prob- probably James Mill, but James Mill is John Stuart Mill's father. Anyway, he was, like, Ricardo's, like, real, like, intellectual behind Ricardo. But I don't know the history deeply. So, either Ricardo or James Mill or both came up with this concept of comparative advantage, which you probably learned in your intro econ, the one or two you probably ta- took. Learned right. and forgot. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the general idea is just, that like, uh, just because one person is better off at producing in every line of production there's still a benefit to trading in a relative sense because like maybe I'm relatively more efficient at producing this. Huh. So I can produce more of this per unit of time if I specialize in it and I let you produce the other thing. Even if I could have produced more of the thing you produce in the amount of time we're, we're mm. working with, it's still better off for me if I just work at what I'm comparatively best at huh. in this relative efficiency sense. Yeah. And I let you do what you're relatively better than me at, even if you're absolutely worse off in every sense, right? Um, and, then, and then we exchange from there. So w- we end up with more on net than we would have had if we didn't specialize in that way, right? So this is, so Mises points out in Human Action and other, other writings, Human Action is his like magnum opus, by the way. It's free online, but it's, okay. it's, not, a, it's not a beginner text. It's an advanced text. So you got to work up to it. But, uh, you know, it's like 900 pages. And I recommend people really into what I'm talking about get there. They, they make a plan to get there eventually. But um, the, the, the core of his insight about comparative advantage, what he called the law of association,
1: okay. is
0: that association, peaceful association is always superior to conflict. In, in terms of net net gain of course as i said maybe someone could be a little bit better off in the short run by like you know cheating and stealing or whatever but in the long run mm. or eventually let's say uh cooperation is what makes society possible and, and what makes wealth possible what makes our society today possible is cooperation not conflict right so um once you kind of grasp this then you're like okay that that's if it didn't work that way mises points out or he argues he says uh, if it wasn't the case that cooperation was net beneficial, then people would not have, co- you would have died off, literally. Like there would have been a yeah. selection mechanism in which the people yeah. who cooperated were worse off than the people who didn't cooperate, and you, you would have just died off. You know, we'd cooperate, and we'd be getting poorer and poorer, and then there would be no human society. Right, yeah. So so literally, human society is built on this, like, metaphysical truth, this, like, necessary truth in the world, that, which Ricardo identified, this comparative advantage, but blown up to every facet of, of life, that yeah. it's always better to associate with each other peacefully. Um, uh, you know, a, a, as you know, as individual people, um, or yeah. as, as groups, as as we choose to form ourselves, right? It's always superior in, in a prosperity sense, in a, in a you know comfort sense, than than war. Um, in terms of whatever you want to get out of the cooperation, whatever it is you want to get out of it, it's better off to cooperate. Um, and, you know, and then mathematically, it's like unless you are exactly equal in every way, which we're not, right? Or, or if, if every piece of land is exactly the same, which it's not. You know, there's all these like kind of things where it's like, if these, if all these things were the case, then the benefits of exchange wouldn't be so high. But in our world today, luckily, uh, the, we, we have a vast uh, diversity of things, which is ironic. So like, I, I'm saying diversity is a strength, but in a very different way than most people say, right? So a lot of people think inequality is really horrible, right? But yeah. what I'm saying, the implication of what I'm saying is actually inequality is like the foundation of society. Because <laughs> if there wasn't inequality, there's no reason to even... Interact really. You that's
1: know? True. So, 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 um, so. Well, so, if, if yeah. I'm happy with the amount of water I have and I don't care about fish, then no reason to talk to each other. Yeah,
0: right? yeah. <laughs> we, I mean, we can just, uh, everyone give, gets what they want eventually in some way. I mean, you know, you can, we can imagine things we'll never get just because we, we have imaginations or whatever. But, sure. um, you know, we're, if if everyone's peaceful and if everyone trades and if, if we have cooperation like this, yeah. um, especially across international boundaries, and, you know, um, we're just going to be richer over time and over time. That, that's the, the history of our world, you know. If um, we
1: look at after World War Two and after mm-hmm. you know the Korean and, and Vietnam Wars, mm-hmm. Japan—the remarkable mm-hmm. growth of Japan's economy, yep. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Came through cooperation. Yes, yes. Americans buying Japanese cars,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, Japanese not buying very many American cars, but you know. <laughs> but <laughs> right. they were saving a lot, Sa- and saving is a key to to, to, to progress yes. later. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so we see how cooperation. I mean, people. I have heard this too. War is good for the economy. Right. 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 Yeah, exactly. It's. I think it's good for a couple of companies. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, about <laughs> five or so, and yeah. then and
0: with some satellite hangers on, yeah, yeah. <laughs> around the Beltway, yeah, and, and, a, and a
1: couple of lobbyists, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah, but I think cooperation. If if uh, and I know a tiny bit about the supply chain for uh, automobiles because mm-hmm. I worked in the automobile industry, done some litigation in automobiles, and all the different companies and suppliers that are connected to a car company. And if I buy a car, I'm supporting, you know, the salesperson, the store, the the, the car lot, mm-hmm. uh, the the company that built it, and then the every single part maker. And, and by the, as a little kid, I used to think that Toyota made every single part in that car. Oh
0: yeah.
1: Just a little yeah. kids.
0: I think most th- people think that thinking, yeah, most, right? yeah, until, until you experience it, yeah, yeah. You, you, probably, you probably. And
1: then you you learn about you know what is an OEM, what is a tier mm, one, right. what's a tier two, and all these companies and something like 17,000 to 20,000 parts go into a car. Mm-hmm. So if I'm buying a car, I'm supporting all these mm-hmm. different people. And even the person who put it on a, on a ship to go to America. Right. Mm-hmm. And and then the person who, who, uh, the captain of the ship and all the workers, dog workers who mm-hmm. offloaded all that stuff, yep. I'm supporting all those people. Yep. And so buying a car, you're, you know, going back to, you know, Breaking the window but i need the yeah, car yeah we, we need to get back broken, to that because yeah, So car. some some yeah. listeners
0: might think yeah but aren't you making the point that is it's so good and what you said is totally true but let's look at it from the other way saying could that car have even been made without that cooperation right so, so this was leonard reed he was the president of a uh, fee the foundation for economic education okay um he wrote this really famous pamphlet it was made famous by milton friedman and like free to choose but but you know he, uh, leonard reed wrote this pamphlet about it's called i pencil and it's from the point of view of a pencil hmm. talking about all around the world that goes into the creation of like a, a number two pencil, you know? Yeah. And it's just so bafflingly complex yeah, that like we look at a pencil as a kid and we're just like, yeah, it's a pencil. It's a pencil. Somebody a pencil. just like, you know, somebody just made the pencil. Yeah. That's all it was. Right. But, but, but the, how this pencil came together, like, uh, I, I can't do justice to the story now, but I, I recommend people read it. It's free online. It's easy to find. It's very short. Um, very easy to read. And, um, just the, the idea that like, uh, all these people cooperating in, in so many parts of the world. And this is what Adam Smith talked about at the beginning of Wealth of Nations, where he says, you know, um, it's it's not – we don't even know each other. We don't mm. know who, who – the, the people who made the car that you're talking about, we, they no don't know each there. other, all these different yeah. companies. They, I mean, maybe some sales reps know each other or whatever. Sure, but sure. That's, you know, sure. Um, but no one knows each other no one really cares they don't they don't need to care about each other they can mm. if they want right sure, sure. but there's no there's no need for like altruism for the market mm. to have these benefits and by market I just mean peaceful voluntary exchange right mm. so um, all you need to do is you want better off for you and somehow even yeah. by that um, and this is why the Germans who Menger was fighting with in his time were, oh, it's it's the it's the cheap dollar philosophy. It's just, oh, it's, you just want selfish, selfish philosophy. It's like, well, oh, look, like actually um, in some sense of defining that word, it doesn't mean you can't be nice a nice person. You can't look out for everyone. Yeah. And you, actually you're better equipped to look out for other people if you're richer, right? So, yes. so um, but, absolutely. But, but, but even if you're not, even if you're Scrooge, right, you're still making everyone better off, actually, right, I'm leaving aside, like if he flogs people or whatever, that's nasty and should be disciplined or whatever. I think we're just
1: talking about like most normal people there's always going to be extremes
0: well but but even the extremes as long as they're not physically violent Hmm. even if they're just like nasty people that you don't you never want to talk to if they're just peaceful they're still making everyone better off by being their miserly self so maybe this is a good point to get to savings because you you you, you were talking about you know the way the supply chain works and by you spending on the car you're you know it works this way right um so uh people would say yeah so that's proof that you need saving, or you, you saving bad. Sorry, mm. that that uh, savings leaks out. So if you don't save, then all those mm. then all those people would go out of business. Because like if, if t- technically speaking, all those people were already paid before the car was produced, right? Mm. Te- technically, mm. so really it's just the, the the car manufacturer at that point. Toyota, I think, was the example, yeah. right? So so if, if you if no one buys their car, they had already paid out all those yeah. operating expenses, and then it's just like oh crap, and they go under. Yeah. So so uh, it could be the case that those other people in the supply chain have other. Uh, uh, contracts you know mm-hmm. of other but or maybe they don't so you, you're right there could be a, this ripple effect where like you not buying could cause unemployment or whatever yeah however um that's just your choice as a consumer like what to buy right yeah. and, and, and ev- everyone in the economy has to adjust to consumer demand you know like what, what otherwise we, we can just freeze the economy we have horse and buggies forever you know kind of thing sure. yeah? <laughs> if, if we're just going to freeze something so nobody can ever get unemployed yeah you know? but so savings now so people say oh savings is bad for, for this reason right no like savings Money, money in your pocket, money under your mattress, money in the bank account, is serving the essential function of money, basically. So people think money is only good when it's actually changing the hands. Money is useful to us also when it's literally being sitting there waiting to be exchanged hands. So, so when money sits in your bank vault, it's not actually serving you much in like that kind of uh, sense of like, oh, I'm not consuming anything at that moment, yeah. right? So it's a choice to postpone your consumption yeah. to later, right? However, you'll, you'll consume eventually. Some yeah. someone will consume eventually.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that that's. That, that's the point of everything. We're, we're, c- consumption, by definition, is just, like, getting the satisfaction. And this is okay. something key that Menger and Mises, like, brought into economics, too, this, this idea of subjective satisfaction, not okay. just this physical relation between things. It's like, no, the human uh, valuational elements with the physical elements, the combination of the two, right? So when you save, you're, you're deferring your own consumption. You're permitting... Um, what's called like a lower time preference. So meaning mm. you're, you're, you're saving now and, and you're signaling your desire to consume later.
1: Mm.
0: So the social rate of time preference will fall and then people will, uh, that that will kind of ripple through the economy in, in various ways through through the structure of production, through this, okay. this production structure. And the structure will lengthen, meaning people will produce more for the future rather than today. Because mm. by you saving, the, the prices will be lower than they would have been. Because if, if you did spend out there, you'd be driving up the prices. Yeah. You'd be willing to spend. By by not spending, uh, You know, there's there's like a depressing effect on present prices, right? Uh, but but you're signaling future consumption demand. We, no one knows exactly when. That's the point of entrepreneurs to know, to guess, like when is that person going to want to, they can yeah. read forecasts, they can read, you know, whatever. They can just make their guesses. They can look at spending habits or any data that they can use. It's not not for us mm-hmm. to say sitting here, right? Um so saving has a very vital function. Without saving, there is no investment. S- investment is a, a subset of saving, right? But mm. even the saving that isn't j- like literally lent out, even that saving is useful because it, it, it's, it's holding prices back. It's signaling willingness to consume later. It, mm. it, it, it's just simply a choice. It's a choice of the person at one moment to say, I don't want to consume right now. And, and that's, that's, mm. that's the same as your choice to consume this rather than that. It's saying, have yeah. this quantity of money than that. Money is just a good, just like every other goods. So it, it, it just happens to be the good that's the general
1: medium of exchange. If we go back to what we were saying, like I value this water more than I value the fish or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right now, I value the money more. Yeah, than anything I value else, else I could have used.
0: Anything else I could have imagined. Any of these other consumer goods, right? So money is not a consumer good. Money qua money. So that, uh, that's where. But but it's still like good. So the, the the principles of economics, as we were saying, the supply and demand. Yeah. You know, analysis, that applies to money just as much to other goods. It just so happens that money is this general medium of exchange, which literally connects, everything is priced in terms of money, whereas mm. horses aren't priced in cows nowadays. Nope, you know, maybe money. they were a lo- sometime, <laughs> right? But, but nowadays, we can't just check the Wall Street Journal and see the price of the, the, the uh. barter the barter ratio of horse to cow, right? But we can see yeah. money to everything, whatever the money d- mm. unit is that we're looking at, right? So, so, so money is unique in that sense. It, it's, it's, you know, sui generis is the term Mises uses. But, but the laws of economics apply. <laughs> it's, mm. it's not, so a lot, of, a lot of economists, even monetary economists, have just treated money as this like, fantastical thing, yeah. which just kind of like, appears. It's like, bestowed from the heavens. It's magical. And we have uh, yeah. to preserve its, its unit value. But actually, no, the unit value is just whatever we choose to spend it for at the time. It uh. just, the quantity of, that's why the quantity matters. It's this definite quantity. So it's saying if, if I spend this amount of, of cash in my pocket for this amount of gummies at the convenience or this amount yeah. of batteries or whatever, um, that's just my choice at that moment. Um, and I, I could choose not to in the next moment or whatever. There's nothing mm. wrong with that. So the price could change according to how we value it, yeah. and according to how the, the shop owner thinks we will pay. There's nothing mm. wrong with that. But people people have this like fantastical metaphys- metaphys- metaphysical view of money that like it must be stable. Like the money unit, the one dollar, mm. must equal this for a long time. And okay. we have to, we have to tamper with everything around us to uh. try to achieve this this goal which by tampering all around that's making things much worse for various reasons uh, you know it's setting in motion boom bust cycles it's uh, uh, yeah. obstructing entrepreneurs own calculations so when you keep messing with money supply and messing with interest rates it's messing with your business owner's ability to like even guess the future it's like hey i'm spending now but like uh, will i have to spend much more later like may- maybe i'll earn more if you know inflation's coming hmm. you can be like hey i got to i got to go in production quickly now because then the, the, what's coming later
1: hmm. w-
0: will, will be worth more nominal terms. But in real terms, not really because then the money you're earning is worth less. So you're like, hey, what am I even <clears throat> going to do at this point? Because you, you have to kind of guess what the inflation rate is going to be, right? Uh. Oh, and actually, we, we, I didn't finish up with the inflation even. So as I said, even that second definition I offered about inflation, about saying it's, it's the increase in the price level price level is not a good term anyway but they use it they they imagine that you can aggregate all the prices in the economy whereas from what i'm telling you it's just individual prices for individual goods prices are just mm. this more than that right but but these mathematical economists mathemat- they they think you can just average out using these you know their arbitrary measurement tools they can say oh you can create this number this uh, number you know that's the price level the cpi that you know yeah, that yeah. now, there's inflation is it,
1: do people just want to simplify things or is that
0: oh well, yeah like if you believe that, like, data is power, if, if you have this view that, like, oh, yeah. we need to measure things. And that, that's how we learn. That's how science works. That's how, you know, if you have that view already, then it's like the next step is like, well, how do we get the data? <laughs> so, <laughs> so then you have to gather. So you have to come up with some way. So okay. that, that's why there was all this work done in the early 1900s in, in American economics. And I think abroad, too. I, I just happen to know because Mises was responding to this about making index numbers, like making, like, the CPI. Yeah. Yeah. And then they were trying to create a scientific approach. And Mises is like, there is no – any one as good as any other one which means they're all equally useless or all equally useful depending on, you know, it it just depends what you want to do with it, right? It's just like the number means whatever it means based on how you did it. Mm-hmm. but where you go from there is not obvious. Like it depends on the situation. So it's not, it is the case that you can get some insight out of these calculations. Like you can say mm-hmm. like, whoa, 8% rise in CPI. Yeah. The pro- probably is price. You yeah. know, e- even if there's funny business and how they calculate it and how they change it. Like, yeah, most likely they're like, okay, yeah, there's probably something to it. Right. With that said, is it like super precise and scientific? Like not, not really. It's just these mm-hmm. people with their clipboards measuring stuff and changing the way they adjust it based on the quality considerations, which is super arbitrary. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but nowadays, so, so, leaving that aside, even that issue with measuring prices, right now, now people are saying, no, no, it's the change in the growth rate in the money. So it's not just the, it's not just, or, or, yeah. So it's not just money being increased. It's like changes in the increase in it. Right. Oh, so, 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 Come so, on. so, so it's like, so it's like saying, so imagine you have like 10% rise. So I, I, I forget. I think it was change in price inflation, not not the money. So so, okay. so it's saying change in the the change of prices. <laughs> so it's like the acceleration of the prices, not just not just the velocity, right? So so it's saying like uh you, you have to you have to measure like okay if you're if you're if the CPI let's say is changing three percent year to year yeah. and then it changes 4%. Well, that's inflation. But it wasn't inflation before, right? <laughs> that kind of thing. Right? So so I,
1: No. Th- this was new to me actually. <laughs> but
0: but I was told by friends that like, yeah, hey, this was kind of like in 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 the water for a while and people were doing this definition.
1: Wow, it's kind of so- like saying like, "Officer, I was not speeding." The speed limit's 65. I was going 80. But I was going 80 for a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't
0: changing from 80. Yeah, I didn't change right, from
1: yeah. 80 to ten. Well, but then in that case,
0: the speed limit would have to be like, you can't have that that rate of change between 65 and 80. That you know, there's something yeah. like that. But yeah. Well, so. No,
1: I sped a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I sped before. <laughs> now I'm not
0: speeding. I'm just maintaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean yeah. T- Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so, but that, that was new to me like a few days ago. So I wouldn't have even said this if we recorded, you know, like a week wow. ago. Wow. But uh, I, I've only heard that from one podcast so far. But I, I don't read like popular literature i'm really like into the academic angle right okay. so so i haven't i'm mostly into my world and, mm. and i see other stuff when there's criticisms when there's stuff to criticize and there's, yeah. you know, there's stuff to learn from and this kind of thing but um I, I haven't seen this definition being so so in use but apparently it's it's out there in the mainstream i i, I don't know, know. I so mean, people can look
1: for it i guess i guess colloquially well first of all the newspaper definition the colloquial definition of inflation i've learned is already wrong and now, <laughs> there might <be> some inflation <laughs> might now be the change in inflation. Yeah, it's like,
0: no worries if it's like 10% change in price over a year. It's like, as long as it doesn't change from 10%, you're good. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah.
1: we're like two or three definitions removed yeah, yeah, away from yeah. the yeah. original definition. Right, right,
0: Which would just simply be more money. It would, yeah.
1: And so, pretty much, like, the word's going to be meaningless,
0: Eventually, yeah. And, Eventually, and you, you can see how there's this information loss. Like, they get more and more complicated to understand it. And uh, it becomes more and more like, you know, from your point of view, you're like, yeah, I don't get economics. Like, this stuff's crazy, right? Yeah. Who am I? I don't, like, I don't know yeah. economics, right? And then even for me, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's probably purposeful. <laughs> it's probably just like, it's the way things uh, go. You know, it's this language destruction yeah. that um, actually, um the president of the Mises Institute. I know you're, you're familiar with the Mises mm-hmm. Institute, right? So I was a summer fellow there. I'm, I'm very involved. I write some articles for their website. He he's been doing this work recently. He he published a paper about about the importance of language, and you know so he's uh. kind of taking up this theme that Mises was serious about, and and, and Austrians mm. have been serious about. But you know we, we're not we're not as serious as we could be. We we're not really out there fighting but, about this. We're just. But language sad. is a
1: naturally evolving, beautiful thing. Well, well right? it,
0: it is. That's kind of his point. <laughs> but but unfortunately, nowadays it's it's not being natural. It's very imposed. You know uh. the, the way these you know and other things too. You know things that are outside economics. Yeah. You can see how I, words are starting to change. And being sarcastic. Yeah yeah no no right? I know, like,
1: yeah. So there's a a really great bit by George Carlin, Mm. and I was a huge fan of George Carlin. And uh, the funny thing is, when I was a kid, he was a radical, Mm. and people like, "Oh, that guy's crazy." Yeah. Now, as an adult, I look back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, And and now I I look back, I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" Um, So one of my favorite bits by him or sketches, he he actually describes himself as an essayist who delivered his content on stage, Mm. and his critique on society, and um. One is called the American dream or the owners of the country. The other one is where he talks about how words change Mm. and he starts with shell shock Mm. and gets to PTSD Mm -hmm. and how it got more syllables, but it got softer. Yeah. Yeah. And It got nicer. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so it, it seems like yeah. the same thing is yeah, happening yeah, in yeah, economics. It,
0: it's, it's a similar – so whether it's a natural process in a sense or whether it's imposed, I don't know. That, that's, that's a different conversation. I don't, I don't actually have a strong opinion about these. Like it could just be people in good faith are just like trying to be more scientific mm. and just, their view is kind of messed up of science in my opinion. Sure, you know? sure. But, but uh, that could be the case. I don't mean to ascribe like horrible <laughs> motives. But it does – it is helpful – for people who it, – it's helpful to dumb down other people because, like, sure, sure. it becomes and, impossible to understand what's going on, you
1: know? And is it possible – I always try to leave room – so, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer trained mm. in the U.S. And uh, there's a lot of criticism and, and valid criticism about lawyers. Yeah. But a lot of times, like, um, people are human mm. and they make mistakes. And, and there have been very high-profile trials on TV I'm not going to mention any of them, but um, if you think back to like 2022, what were the big trials yeah. on TV right now, right? And people say like, oh, that lawyer was so stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, why did he even ask that question? Well, a lot of times they come in with a list of questions mm-hmm. and halfway through the witness goes off the track, yeah. but they're trying to come back to mm-hmm. the original line of questioning. Mm-hmm. And they ask a question that has nothing to do with the conversation anymore. But it's, it's like they came in with a game plan, but the witness went off track. So, As
0: Mike Tyson said, everyone's got a plan to get punched in the face. Exactly, <laughs> right? And every lawyer's, every
1: lawyer's got a great line of yeah. questioning until they get a witness on the stand. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I just made that up. But um, I sometimes wonder, you know, lawyers are human, economists are human, yeah. people make mistakes. I wonder sometimes if these policies that turn out so badly sometimes, mm-hmm. is it just because people are human and we mess up? Is it nefarious? Is it like should we ascribe right, right. it to like malevolence or well? This is mistakes, a matter of, of
0: historical judgment. It's a matter of you you got to dive through the literature available to you at the time. Who's doing mm-hmm. what and you got to hunt through. So um so uh, Rothbard himself he 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 had a similar story as like the Carlin example you mentioned. Yeah. Um he he wrote another short pamphlet which I'll also recommend. Um besides the previous one was what has government done to our money. This one is called Economic Depressions: Their Cause and Cure. Okay. And this is more about uh, the boom-bust cycle, which we haven't really gotten into. But it's, it's related mm. to money. It's about, it's about the expansion of, of what, what Mises is called fiduciary media, meaning the unba- unbacked paper money. Okay. So uh, he called it credit. But credit's not like you, – you can have natural credit, just like yeah. in, investment credit. But this is like credit that isn't backed up by like real saving. And that, that's what causes the cyclical like boom like and bust. More like letters of credit or? No, like mm-hmm. literally just like new money, new, 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 new USD that uh. isn't backed by actual real saving. It's yeah. just poof so, out of nowhere. So, so right? if that goes into investment purposes first, that causes like this intertemporal issue in the structure of production. And then the stuff about interest rates. It's a long, it was it, a whole week of my lecture. It's I got like this. you this. Know? Describing
1: but, the. Messing up the space-time continuum or something. It basically,
0: like. it basically is that. Yeah, it's basically more or less like similar. Yeah. Um, uh,
1: Sorry, I, I yeah. use really dumb no, no, terms. No, because... it, it's actually not not the <laughs> wrong way to
0: even think of it because it, yeah, it, yeah. it, it just it, it messes up. As I talked about time preference before about how you yeah. prefer sooner or later, it messes it messes up the, the correspondence between the actual investment activity and that preference of consumers, right? Mm. So so there's anyway without getting into detail, there's this boom bust cycle. And, 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 me, and Rothbard begins this pamphlet, Economic Depressions they are Causing Cure, by pointing out that, like, yeah, we used to have depressions. And then we had recessions. Mm. And then we had downturns. Uh. And now we so, – so as we know, uh, 8 09, we call it the recession. We don't call it the Great Depression anymore, right? That's um, right, yeah. Are we ever going to have a depression again? Like, probably not. You know, not, not, not within the current political structure that we, we imagine, right? I
1: heard somebody um, made a real stretch and called it the Great Recession.
0: Oh yeah, the, yeah. the now Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that, that's usually what people say. Um, yeah. But then you know, nowadays people aren't. Now people are saying no, no, no. Like even it's not even a recession now. Even though GDP decreased two quarters in a row, or whatever you know, it's it's not a, it's not a recession. Like I don't really care. I don't care how you use the word. It's just interesting to point out that it always gets softer, but you lose. Yeah. You know, it, 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 yeah. Oh, it's like no worries. Everything we're doing is fine. It's just temporary. It's a temporary blip. Um, transitory. Transitory. Exactly. A yeah, transitory inflation. <laughs> so, yeah. That word drives me yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It was. It was one of those weasel words. Like no worries. Yeah, it's it's yep. transitory. Oh, oops, it wasn't. Sorry, we're all wrong. And like you know. it was transitory for two years. I mean, yeah. like well, I'm sure you know. you've seen those memes of like Powell's face, and it's like oh, it's like oh no worries, like things are, things are great. Oh, things are like overheating. We got to do this. Oh, actually things are really bad. Uh, oh no, it's, it, don't worry. It's transitory. Oh no. Like, it, 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 it's, and it's like, don't worry. You still own your home. It's like, don't worry. You don't own your home, but you're happy. It's like the last one. Right? Oh <laughs> you gosh, know, it just yeah. goes from like, everything's fine to like, okay, you're, you you're starving, but like, you, but at least you'll go to heaven. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was like the last one, right? So, so that's basically the, yeah, the, the path that we're on, unfortunately. And it, um, it's, it's hard to, it, as you were saying about whether or not you ascribe whatever, it's a case by case basis, I guess, um, yeah. and you'd you'd have to really talk about the individual person and the individual. But but something to consider is like the the systematic incentives at play, right? So so um, when you're a lawyer, you want to represent your client, even if you know they're an sob and you're like, oh yeah, like this person's horrible, and like even if you're like he could be lying, but like hey, like you're getting paid for this, and it, 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 you can either not take the client or you you should represent the client, yeah, right? Yeah. At that point, right? Well, so,
1: and also like the thing is, even if a person and I'm not going to make a judgment whether they're guilty or not, mm. but you also have to make sure that their constitutional rights are protected. Sure, sure, yeah. So if the the state comes in and says, you know, state versus Tracy, uh, we're going to bring in some evidence, and I'll say, wait, that's hearsay. Mm. You cannot bring that evidence in. If they had railroaded my client and there was no lawyer there to protect that client, that they could get railroaded mm-hmm. big time. Yeah. So a lot of times the lawyers there, even if the person is like like so guilty guilty yeah that you know there's video of it there's a <laughs> confession there's everything yeah. right you're still there to protect their constitutional right, right, rights yeah.
0: so yeah yeah right. uh, yeah but and then but then imagine if those rights were different right so then it's a different yeah. playground right it's a different Yeah. Uh, but i mean to, to be fair you have to believe in the rights so that people have to uphold them you know but yeah. but so the, the words in the paper or whatever it's what you know what we act according to them but yeah they're not not meaningful i don't mean to say that it's nothing mm-hmm. but um you know of course w- when we see the way the government works uh the, as you were saying, maybe they want to railroad that client for whatever reason. Sure. Um, well, there, there's always the for one better and, or worse, and, you know,
1: and not to take it too far off into to legal stuff. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, I don't give legal advice on this yeah, no, podcast yeah, no, no, no. ever. Um, I'm a lawyer, but I'm not your lawyer. <laughs> yeah, I, have, <laughs> I always I say. have no advice to give about, <laughs> about laws. And, um, uh, where was I going with that? <laughs> oh, about
0: constitutional rights. And yes. Yeah.
1: The, the lawyer's there to protect their constitutional right, yeah, rights yeah. and make sure that, right. you know, the process is followed.
0: That, that, that's, right. almost like, that's almost a nice-sounding example of what I was trying to get at. So, like, uh, imagine you're working, like, uh, for today, let's say, uh, most grad PhD economists who graduate are employed by the Federal Reserve. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how, I don't know, maybe most is, like, maybe it's less than 50% or something. I, don't, I forget the exact number, right? Okay. But it's, it's a huge amount of them. That's right? a lot. It's a lot of them. It's not, it's not 50. I mean, a lot of them go to academia or a lot of them go to the private sector or whatever. Okay. But, um, a lot of them go—I I don't know how many. It's, it's a lot. I, when you look at the stat, you're like, well, wow, that's a lot. Uh, so when you get hired by the Federal Reserve, uh, what, what is the chance that you are going to be a vocal critic of the Federal Reserve? So first of all, what is the, what is the chance that you would have gone to work for them in the first place? if you think that this is an institution of great destruction in society, right, are you going to want to go work for this institution that didn't exist before 1913, was created under very shady circumstances, does this stuff with the money supply, which I've been explaining partly in our our conversation, what what it does, who it benefits. It benefits first receivers, which is people in the banks and everything, right?
1: Sure, sure. And then once you leave, too, you probably have a... A non-defamation clause where you cannot talk about your former employer and disparage your former employer. I have no, I have no employer, idea how it right? works, so, but, but I, in I'm any case,
0: e, even assuming the best of them, and a lot of these people are just normal people, just doing, they believe in what they're doing, they believe that, I mean, mm-hmm. what you learn in most PhD programs, not mine, because I go to George Mason, it's a little unique, I, I went there for a reason, to study with my professors. Um, mm-hmm. I'll just shout out like uh, Pete Bedke, Chris Coyne, these kind of guys, um, they're, they're they're like Austrians, like me. So I went there for a reason, because I knew yeah. I could get through the program, Um uh, and they're my dissertation committee now, um, but uh, you know otherwise, most of the programs they're just going to jam you full of math for three, four years, make you do some econometric paper to get out um, and and most of these people were on like the, the, the top universities, they were on the council of economic Advisors at some point, or they you know they or they aspire to be or something, mm-hmm. right um, so you can and let's not even say let's say they truly believe what they're doing they don't understand what i'm saying or they don't think i'm right let's say that they don't think anything okay. i said is right they think that no the government must intervene and to do this and that and that, and that they have arguments and you know whatever uh they're going to gravitate towards those positions they're gonna say, oh, i'm going to make a difference in this organization whereas for me it's like no you make a difference by by closing it up by closing shop and letting them go to productive jobs right so 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 why would i unless i'm just a kind of craven and i just want some short-term uh, mm. security because working for the government is a good way to just be, be safe sure. for a while, right? Um, but but that's not my interest. So I'm going to be fighting against that, in a sense. I'm going to be arguing against it. I'm going to be doing stuff like this, you know, mm-hmm. explaining why I think this is a huge damage to our society, right? Um, you know, what's going on in Japan right now is, is this monetary policy issue on steroids for, for, for 40 years, you know? Um,
1: so, uh, you know, I see uh, down the street from me, there's a huge tower mansion. Tower mansion is basically condominiums, yeah. right? Like 20, 25 stories of condominiums beautiful beautiful lobby. I was near my office today and there's this huge huge development going up. And I don't know where the money comes from. Japan's been in a recession for like 25 30 years. Oh and yeah,
0: right? about yeah, it's been sputtering, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And
1: I don't see a lot of growth, but I'm not yeah. I'm not reading the you know yeah. the Nikkei Shimbun every day, but yeah. it's just I don't know where all this building's coming from. Well, how
0: you how you measure growth is important too. And okay. um, because you could see increases in gdp over some amount of time and you're like oh no worries guys like our policies are fine because like it mm. would and, We're and, growing. It, it's interesting because then they're always going to say it would have been worse if we didn't do that so so they admit the counterfactual when it's convenient right so keynesians uh-huh. always say if we didn't intervene at this time it would have been so horrible look at our forecasts our our uh-huh. various projections right um so so you can you can see gdp sputtering or increases or whatever over some amount of time but what's actually happening within the economy so, so it's, it's not just that there's like consumption and like capital and that you know saving it's like no like there's stuff going on within those aggregates so a lot of modern economists they only deal with these aggregate terms like just add up stuff okay. like, and then they just like correlate the, these big terms at the top right mm-hmm. but actually what's going on in, in this, what we call the structure of production you know in the, in the supply chain you know um, what, what's going on there so it could be the case that for twenty to thirty years, Japan's been getting poorer in a sense, but it's not noticeable in those aggregate terms. You just notice later when, when suddenly production is like, oh, everything's messed up. <laughs> eventually, and you weren't, you weren't saving. You were eating into your saving, but you didn't even know it because it wasn't showing up into your theoretical outlook, right? Uh, uh, so you, so you can literally just consume your capital, your capital. You know, yeah. uh, you, you, you can just have less allocated towards productive investment in the future, and more people are spending now, and then suddenly. Uh, people derogative derogatorily refer to the Austrian theory of the cycle as the hangover theory they say oh well it's like you 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 have fun partying and then you you wake up the next day and you're like oh i'm
1: I'm oh, hungover and I'm hungover. like, yeah, I'm, I'm,
0: I'm, uh, it's kind of true. There's something too with the metaphor, you know, yeah. where it's like, yeah, you can, you can, you can see yourself doing well. And I'm not saying it's exactly what's going on here. There's other, a lot of things going on. A lot of it's just institutional stickiness because the way Japanese law, the, you know, you know, like the way labor is so regulated here yes. and the way everything is just so like static, the way comp, zombie companies yeah. and everything. So it, yeah. it's just like, not like nothing's really happening and there's pumping in money, but it's not even like going into the economy very much. Recently it has been a little bit and people are yeah. freaking out over like tiny, you know, much less than abroad, yeah, yeah. you know, but, but compared to historical, you know, recent price deflation, sure, it's sure. like a big deal. Um, but, but yeah, they've been doing this crazy monetary policy for so long and, and the regulations are so intense and taxation so high. Yeah. And it's just kind of this, this static society that, you know, um, it's hard to disentangle everything and I'm not going to pretend to have an, mm-hmm. one answer that's easy, you know, mm-hmm. but, but it could be the case. It very well could be the case that the people around us today here think they're much richer than they are in real terms right so we're seeing this crazy devaluation now right uh, and it could be the case that actually for for maybe the last 10 years or so people were acting as if it was like 2000 or 2002 which already yeah. then was not as good as 82 or whatever which yeah. is in the bubble but but let, well let's just but actually what if things right now are not as rosy as people even think even knowing they're not good right yeah. and, and and maybe maybe within a few years people will realize like Oh, we have to we have to really save and invest again because like there's there's a problem going on. Uh-huh. You know, we need to like unleash entrepreneurial energy, and we can't yeah. just like prevent people from getting fired and prevent anyone mm-hmm. from de- taking any risk and that kind of thing, right? Um, so so uh, and a- as you were saying before, I- I'm gonna research research more about Japanese economic history. I- I'm not mm-hmm. sure with what I'm saying exactly, but basically like Japan coming out of World War II. I mean, it was like destroyed, you know, as, as yeah. you know. And um, it was basically just like, all right, let's, let's start over. And then they were very yeah. industrious people, as, as yeah. we know, and, and um, they save a lot even even now. You know, yeah. and
1: also very little distraction. I mean, there was this sense, and I, I talked to people who were here during that time or that were growing up during that time, and there was this common sense of like, uh, or a, a sense between the people of, mm-hmm. we have to build this country, we yeah, have to yeah, repair, yeah. Yeah, we something. have to do something, and uh, we have to work hard. And of course, mm-hmm. Japanese are very hardworking, very smart, yes, very yeah, industrious, yeah, yeah. but... There was this common theme of we're all in this together. Yeah, yeah. And that went on for several decades. Mm-hmm.
0: But then they got rich. Yeah. And, 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 the, and, and yeah.
1: this well, the, is the, me not being an, econo- and yeah. like an economist, but they got rich. They got high speed internet. <laughs> they all got smartphones. Yeah. And then the younger people are just they got McDonald's. Like, yeah, they got McDonald's. <laughs> so, but then the younger people, I don't see younger people as motivated as when I was here in the 90s. Younger people in the 90s were studying English. Yeah. They're traveling abroad. They're interested in foreign countries and learning languages mm. and working overseas and stuff. These days, you talk to younger people and they're like, nah, I don't really care to travel. Such
0: apathy, right? Yeah. yeah. Everywhere. And you just you just feel it everywhere. Yeah. You just feel this apathy. Yeah, I mean, you know,
1: not a lot of people getting married. Not yeah. many people having kids. Right. I don't know if that's because they can get everything they want on the internet and they don't need to find uh, the opposite sex. I don't know. Yeah. But... Um, it's case by case. Yeah.
0: I, I think a lot of this like... Um, well... This is where I blame these kind of Keynesian policies because if you if things if, if so if there's like let's say two percent, this is what they they target these policies. Yeah. They target two percent. It's not just Keynesians, it's other like you even like monetarists and stuff, they they have this this view of like, oh, you should have the stable growth rate, right, over time. Okay. This predictable growth rate, right? But when you do that when you save today, you have to keep spending now. You can't, you're, you're, you're like literally you, if you expect this, you know, in the future that like what I saved today, what I earned today, Yeah. like sure, what you earn in the future might be more to adjust for the inflation in the okay. future. But today you earn today, today, today bucks, right? Yeah. So if you want to spend on today prices, then yeah. you should spend it today, today. or you know, soon. Yeah. Right. But, but if you know that 15 years from now, let's say you're 21, you graduate from college And you get your first job and you get paid horrible wages here for your first job. I I went through it for a few months and I I, I wasn't a fan. But, uh, you know, you get get paid really low wages, monthly wages, right? And it's kind of this, it's almost this, like, tiered system where, like, oh, you get this degree, you get this wage starting out. And, like, it it almost doesn't matter, like, where you go. If it's, like, a Japanese company and a Japanese, it's, like, that's it, right? I'm sure there's some variation, but, like, you know, not that much, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and if you know that, like, deep down, whether it's, like, Conscious or not, it's like look—you can't even afford to like plan for kids, you know. Like, because yeah. like you can't have like a wife stay at home. Because my understanding is a lot of like Japanese girls—they they all go to college, but like they kind of just like want to like—they they haven't really bought into the whole like oh we should yeah. have a dual-income family thing. They're like no, like when you have a kid, you just kind of want to stay home, right?
1: Um, like, that, know, there's lots of videos to back this up. There's yeah. lots of videos on YouTube where people go around on the street in Tokyo yeah. and ask young women, yeah, like what do you, you want to do? What do you want to do? Do you want to have a career? Or do you want to have a family? Right. And the majority of them will say. I want a family.
0: Yeah, if, if if you marry and if you start yeah, having kids, yeah. then you, you want to stay with the kid, right? So, um that's hard to do when when the, the man's earning, you know, however Very much, little. right? Yeah. And, and, and yeah, and yeah. it's like it's like 2 grand those... for, for, for listeners, it's like around like 2 grand US a month for like yeah. that starting salary, you know. Yep. And and, and Tokyo and if if you live in Tokyo, it's not cheap. I mean, if you live abroad, there's probably more kids per people out sure. there. Like when I, when I went to Guma like a month or two ago, which is north of Tokyo for mm-hmm. for listeners abroad, um, there were, I saw way more happy running kids around yes. know, than, I do, yes. than I do in Tokyo. In Tokyo, you, you see them, but it's obvious that it's like bankers wise kind of thing. <laughs> it was oh, very yeah. obvious to me. That's like, yeah, okay, this, this, is, this is like the, the winners of, of the Tokyo yeah. system <laughs> Like are the kids here. Yeah. This
1: neighborhood here, <laughs> yeah. um... Very metropolitan people, yeah. a lot of embassies around here, a lot yeah. of foreign companies around here. You see the license plate that has the foreign mark on it, right? Mm. Yeah, Tri- yeah. Driven yeah. by somebody working in yeah. an embassy, whatever. Yeah. yeah,
0: I always walk by all the time. I see the yeah. the, the tinted
1: windows. Yeah, you can't, you can't you see those. There. And mm-hmm. then you see a lot of uh, wealthy people around here. There's a couple international schools. One across the street, there's an international school. And two, mm-hmm. there's an elementary school down the street and another international yeah, all school over down the, the street, the, right? Our area, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, you. You See the winners, yeah, the, right, yeah, yeah. The people here who went to Todai or KO, right, right, right. they got the really and they can sweet afford to, job. and that's yeah. kind
0: of the key, is what I'm getting at. It's like they can literally afford it. So, um, yep. I mean, people who choose not to, that's that's their choice. Mm-hmm. Everyone has their own values, as we're saying, it's a sure, subjective sure. value for everything, right? But even if you do want that, it's mm-hmm. very hard, right? Yeah, so given that this is just the situation, and what I don't think most Japanese youth like grasp, like economic policy the way i've been describing it and mm. the consequences but you just know that like oh things are not good like like well, my, my life is probably worse than my parents were probably you know kind of it's just like, yeah, oh, like yeah. or it's the same or like you know whatever yeah. like you kind of you know what your future will be like already exactly there's not much like dynamism or hope or expectation nope. it's just like yeah like life is comfortable and it is that's why i'm here and <laughs> that's right. why it's, yeah. it's, it's still nice here i don't mean to like to say it's not nice or anything yeah. but it, it's just not not very uh dynamic uh, it's not uh people don't have aspirations or they don't seem to want to even anymore. Yeah, they kind of gave up, you know,
1: very predictable. Yeah. 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 Very predictable. Um, and, and also it's, it's expensive to raise children. here. Yeah.
0: It, it's very, I expensive. mean,
1: if you, if you look at, and this is the crazy thing with the, the birth rate declining in Japan, you would think that yeah. education would get cheaper, but here's what happened. And, and I don't want, don't want to be all doom and gloom, but what happened with the, the, um, daycare situation in Japan is that as the birth rate declined, Daycares closed.
0: Yeah.
1: Which means that there are fewer daycares to right, take right, care right, of kids, right. which means the prices went up. Right. Right. Which to me from an American standpoint is like there are fewer people get fewer kids going to daycare. The price should go down, right. but fewer yeah, kids go to yeah. daycare. They close it's, down yeah, daycare. The supply crashed. Yeah. The supply crashed. Yeah, and yeah. so the ones that are left, yeah, it's hard to get in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are, there are women who cannot go back to work because their child cannot get into daycare. Mm. There are no spaces. And so the prices are high. you can't always get in. Yeah. But then education's expensive, Uniforms expensive. That little backpack that oh, really? I have is expensive. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Juku, like uh-huh. to send your kid to a cram school because the school doesn't teach what you need to know to get into yeah. college or university uh, to pass the test. you got to pass the yeah, test yeah. to get into university. And so you go to school and it's basically all-day daycare. And then after school you go to a cram school, or a Juku, they call it, to learn how to pass the test to get into university. And if you don't get into a good university, you don't get a good job. Mm-hmm. And I, I read a book in the 90s, this this gentleman, he worked at a trading company or bank or something, and he retired very wealthy. And he said, it's really, it blows my mind to think, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, it blows my mind to think that my whole life was decided by a series of tests when I was like yeah. 16 years old. Right,
0: older. right, right, yeah. So yeah, I'll be avoiding that with my new daughter. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to definitely avoid that whole track, basically. Yep but um, yeah it, it's dispiriting if you're young like I, 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 um, I'm a visiting fellow at a university in Shibuya right now mm. um, so that's my official affiliation in, in Japan you know because yeah. my, my PhD is in the US right now but uh um and uh when i'm at the school i just see a lot of i go to the library but i go to the bottom floor so i can have a drink i got scolded for having a drink in the, in the library oh boy. but so so i so i stay at the ground floor where like there's it's not inside the library it's like the library building but i'm okay. i'm in like the lounge where people can talk or whatever yeah and i just see half of the the students and these are all college age japanese students at the yeah. school just passed out right there's just, no like it, but, like i don't, I don't think I, it's hard for me to imagine they're studying that hard where like, you know, i think i think it's, it's just pure like disinterest and like apathy it's like at everything right and Half of them are just passed out. Like you know,
1: you know, a, a lot of times college or university is four years of partying. Yeah. Because once you get in, you're pretty much guaranteed to graduate, mm. and you don't really have to study or turn in mm. homework. Yeah. Um, or finals. Like when I was in college, if you don't pass the final, you don't pass the class. Right. You're mm, right, right. There's there's homework, yeah. a, a midterm, sure, and a yeah, final. Yeah. That and then percentage that is taken to, to make your grade. But here, there are only a few majors. Where you actually have to study now, psychology is one of them.
0: Really, interesting.
1: Um, you have to actually turn in a thesis. You have to actually have done some, some homework and and some <laughs> groundwork, some footwork. Okay, foot yeah, work. Some, yes. But a lot of times, college is four years of partying, and. Um, Okay. A lot of times, kids don't even go to classes. Yeah, yeah. So you could see it, it could be <laughs> that they've been partying all night and they're just crashing in the cafeteria yeah, because yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, uh,
0: I, I have no idea. I don't. I don't go up to them and ask. But yeah. yeah, it's uh yeah. I've heard from Japanese professors who are there are some who are kind of similar to me the way I view economics and everything, and they um they say uh, like don't expect too much. Like uh, <laughs> you just get a lot of blank stares. From if, the if, students, if any, yeah. if any uh, stares, you know, the st- stare, the would be, a blank stare would be a good thing, right? <laughs> Otherwise, it's, it's mostly just you know. Drooped, drooped heads and everything. Um, wow. uh, but yeah, uh, but even in the U.S., you know, like I've been teaching online for for over a year now because okay. I'm here. I'm here. You know, I'm not, I'm not there. Mm-hmm. But um, even there, you know, I get I get two or three students a semester generally to, okay. per class that are interested. Because oh. I, I just say, hey, I have an open open Zoom policy. You know, when it, based on the time difference, if we can arrange it, happy to talk about anything. It could be about the content in the class or anything really yeah. just if it sparks some interest in you like because I, I think most most uh, students aren't really getting much personalized attention in colleges anymore um, um I mean if they ever did you know I'm not saying it's worse than it used to be maybe it's yeah, better than yeah. it used to be but in general it seems like they're, they're more interested in just like um charting their own path so I, I just say like hey come to me and like actually most of the students who come to me for advice they, they tend to like not even continue in economics which is a bad I'm a bad I'm a bad sales pitch recon, econ right but <laughs> but I say they tell me their dreams and I'm like hey like if you graduate with an econ degree you can do a lot of stuff for sure but like the natural path is like either you do the PhD in econ and you you continue on for like working at the fed or you work as a professor like me yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to work as a professor or you just like go work for like a bank or whatever yeah. but, but you should if you're going to do that you should probably like minor in math then you should probably do math and like having econ isn't really that required you should just do math then <laughs> in my opinion finance <laughs> and math right yeah. um, so so in general I'm like look like I think it's important every Human learns the kind of economics we've been talking about. Yeah, but you can you can get that out of books and like it's like look, I want students and I want people to take econ, but I want them to do it based on their own life goal and right. what they're pa- passionate about. So I, I support more my vision for the future education system is more of like a Greek like. Uh, schol- scholastic environment, you know, where there's yeah. kind of like lecturers and then like, there's different schools of thought yeah. and, and and you kind of, the lecturers are kind of around the, the, the academy yeah. and, and, and this kind of thing. And only the really interested people will come and they'll just pay the tuition mm. one-on-one. And then maybe there'll be some different model for like, you know, when you publish, there'll be some decentralized like crypto based payment model for the people interested will pay, like you could pay 10 cents to read my article or something mm. in crypto, you know, cause it's so cheap I and easy. Right? right. Yeah. yeah but, but like right now, the, the way the academic system is, it's, it works it's like so captured by like a few big companies and you know it's these scams about the textbooks and everything right so mm-hmm. I, I don't assign these textbooks to my students because i'm like look like half of you don't want to be here i don't want to torture you and make you pay like a 100 bucks for like this textbook that you're gonna throw away or sell yeah. it, it's just feeding the machine more so i say look yeah. like i usually assign free pdfs from mises.org mises institute website okay like meet mises and manger and rothbard and, and these kind of thinkers um and uh I don't even make them read. I give them what I think they should learn in the lecture. <laughs> okay. Because I say, like, students will, hate, if they're interested, they'll read. But I'm going mm. to tell them everything that's most important, like, the kind of stuff I'm telling you about yeah. the way money works and, you know, the way inflation works, this kind of business cycles. I teach, like, very basic stuff in value theory and, and this kind of things, how science works, like, the counterfactual, base, you know, yeah. basis.
1: Well, that's very important to learn how to
0: think. Um, Right, right. So, so I spend more time on that, and I test them based on what I want them. Like, if if they remember five things from my class, like these are the five things I want them to remember, and I make sure that those things are tested repeatedly. Yeah, yeah. over, you know, because repetition helps them learn, right? But I, I don't like. I don't torture with like all this busy work and all sorts of yeah. payment stuff. And cause, cause, cause teach professors benefit in a sense. Cause, uh, they get kind of faded by these, uh, publishing companies, you know, they can give you yeah. free, free, uh, copies of, of mm-hmm. textbooks and everything. And, you know, this, this kind of stuff. Um, it, it's not so horrible. I don't, I don't mean to like make it out to be like the worst. It's not like pharma industry or whatever, you know, it's, it, it's, it's like, it's like a quarter there or something, you know, the right. way it works, you know, but, but, but um, there's
1: a lot of funny biz in the, Academic and, and, and if you wanted to yeah.
0: read if if i publish uh some, some of my articles might be in a like a, a paywalled journal okay and you'd have to pay like 50 plus dollars for like one article as, wow. as a non-academic if you're an academic it's this little like you know cartel where like like the school library pays for the membership okay. but there's kind of this system where like then then the, these these publishing companies so i've contributed a bunch of these like book chapters in these volumes and then the volumes are just pumped out and like it, it almost works out for me in a sense because they're willing to just publish on like almost anything. So they're willing to publish my heterodox, unorthodox modern nice. version of economics. Right. But, um, which I think is right, but, but, but you know, it's not dominant mm-hmm. right now in academia, mm-hmm. but they're just publishing whatever. Cause they don't really care because the, the libraries just buy them automatically. They just have, they have a rolling subscription, something wow. something like this. Right. Okay. So the libraries just stock these hundred dollar books, but they don't expect any person to buy them. But, wow. but the result of that is that if there is good stuff in there, it's tough for you to even see it. Right. That's true. So, so, yeah. so I'm, I'm imagining this future where like, um, even if I'm, let's say, a university professor officially as my title, yeah. my publication is actually more like a, a free or pay-to-play model. Like, like for, yeah. for, for uh, customer-facing, the customer isn't just like yeah. the, the, the parents of international students yeah. who are willing to pay full tuition yeah. who aren't paying in-state tuition, right? Well, right now, that's the ever... customer kind of. or The customer is really just like um, d- donors, like past, yeah. you know. But, have you um, ever
1: looked at anything like Substack? Yeah, in the, future, in the future in the future for
0: sure sense. for sure yeah yeah. I mean right now I'm focusing on my my own like getting through the PhD program. Yeah. But um ac- actually I've been publishing on mises.org. I've been okay. published a couple of yeah, articles yeah. in kind of crypto monetary theory stuff. Um and uh and and everything's free on that website. So even the PDFs are free and everything. So um they they were like a, a pioneer in in my space among like yeah, making yeah. stuff accessible to everybody, well, right?
1: What's an essay or what's what's something you've written that people should start with?
0: Um well don't start with me. Start with other people. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's the best advice I have because I, I have You're too uh, humble. The, the The article I wrote about like basics in Austrian economics it's going to appear in one of those volumes that I mentioned. So, okay. so chances are people listening aren't going to find that. <laughs> okay. It's in one of these like uh, Austrian school or it's in like alternative political theories or something like that. You know, one of these textbooks with like ten chapters that have.
1: Austrian economics is labeled like an alternative theory or something oh like,
0: yeah yeah but i mean it's, it's always been heterodox in a sense but it's just the way things have been i mean just because it's popular doesn't mean it's right so so, so true, and just because yeah. you know, and vice versa and, and and it goes both ways you know it goes just, with
1: music too like yeah. just because it's popular doesn't mean it's good well, yeah
0: <laughs> yeah so like there's even more subjectivity there and like maybe in the future we can have like an objective theory of music i i i doubt it but anyway yeah, i doubt uh, it i mean there are elements for sure that we can like Decide on that like 99% of people agree that like this structure is like more appealing than this structure and you can kind of generalize, but, but but with economics, I mean, what, what I'm concerned with, and again, this gets this Aristotelian essentialist bent that, that, you know, more about like, I do think there is like the truth. (laughs) <laughs> in quotes and caps and whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not like a you know postmodernist in that sense, right? Yeah. You know, I don't think it's well, like truth
1: is all subjective. Right.
0: Right. I my mean, truth. I, I, I think, have my truth. I think the truth in economics is that values are subjective. So, so that's why there, there's a subjective element for sure, right? So, mm. so one man's trash is another man's treasure. Sure. But that doesn't mean that truth is. It just means that only do with truth in a sense. Like I'm talking about like metaphysical structure of the universe type of thing. You know. Yeah. Cause and effect relationships. That's really the key. The very first sentence of Menger's. Uh, principles of economics book like the one that founded the austrian school was all things are subject to the law of cause and effect this principle knows no exception right so but, but but this is like this is like a big claim like people deny this like modern scientists like some of them don't believe this <laughs> like like, really? like empiricists like don't believe this like they say no that like you can never see a cause like like him said you can't you can't see it. like there, there's there's um uh, controversies and difficulties and I'm probably not representing perfectly but basically the, the, there's a view that like no, no, no there's no such causation it's just like mutual determination and there's like everything mm. goes it's all just a kind of a mess and everything whereas the the, the, the Misesian Hungarian, Austrian view is like no, no, no we, we can literally mentally conceive of the cause-effect relations mm. conceptually what I've been describing about like what a medium yeah. exchange is when you increase the supply of that what what's the counterfactual result of that, right? Yeah. This to me is truth in quotes, right?
1: Okay. But
0: um, so uh. That that's kind of if you want to get the basics. Getting back to your question about yeah. like oh like where should people start? Um, besides the Hazlitt book, which again is a little bit outdated in the examples, not in the reasoning at all. Like I think you can read that profitably, and you and if you search online, you can find it for free, and I can send you a PDF to put yeah. in like show notes or something. But um, uh, besides that book, recently the Mises Institute has published a, a new primer by uh, Per Bieland. He's a he's a professor in Oklahoma. I think it's Oklahoma State University. I hope I'm not okay. make, mistaking that. Um, he's a, a Swedish uh, guy, but he but he's you know working in the U.S. and he's he's a he's a fellow and a professor at Mises University, the place in the summer where in Auburn, okay. Alabama, where if some if interested high school students or college students are interested they can go for a week in July, huh. and they, and and there's even an, a master's program there now. That's run by another former student of Rothbard and Hoppe at UNLV, wow. uh, Joe Becker. So, yeah, so maybe your, your, your brother knew. Uh, wow. Knew, knew Might at have been the in the class. It could with could Joe, have been yeah. in the class, yeah. <laughs> so, they now run a master's program and they're working on getting various accreditations and stuff. And, wow. you know, but um, you can do that. Uh, whether it's good for your life, it's up to you. you know, it's like, what do you want out of your <laughs> life? And do you want to spend two years? It, it's not easy, but it's, it's cheap. Because it, it okay. uh, donors help subsidize it, right? Wow. So if, if you're just kind of a layman and you really want a structured program and you don't want to spend a lot, but you're willing to put in the time, and that's kind of yeah. a key, you have to really be interested, right? Yeah. Uh, you can do this master's program, but but if you don't want to do that, just just read free PDFs. Read like the primers I mentioned. Um, per Bieland wrote one. Uh, I think it's just called like Austrian Economics: A Primer, or it's like The Economy: okay. A Primer. It's very simple. It's a very simple title. So if you just look on Mises.org, search Per Bieland, like the primer, you, okay. you'll you'll find it, right? Mises, how
1: do you spell Mises?
0: M-I-S-E-S. Okay. Yeah. And of org. course, it's based on Ludwig von Mises, the guy I've been talking yeah. about the whole time. Yeah. yeah. So um, it was created in 80, 1982 in his, his memory. He was dead okay. by then, but his wife was still alive and it made in his memory with a lot of his, some okay. of his former colleagues. And
1: I mean, their YouTube videos are amazing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then like, they're getting, upping their game more and more and getting, yeah. and, and just it, for everybody. You know, it's this philosophy that really everyone needs to know this. You don't necessarily need a PhD degree. Right? Yeah. That's what I tell my own students. I'm like, look, like, depending sure, on what sure. you want out of your life, if you want mm-hmm. to be me, I feel support doing what i did sure sure. i recommend doing what i did but if you don't like let's be real like if you want to be a hairdresser and you just like your parents made you do a practical major econ isn't even the most practical major you could do so then i have have a real (laughs) talk with them about that you know and i say like look, you're gonna be taking a lot of classes like they like my class and i say my school you're gonna take more like me but like there'll be repetition and like what you're gonna get out of it based on your life Hmm. you should reconsider like maybe even taking like accounting is more practical in a sense because like if you're gonna be a business owner like you need to know The the current stuff, right? It could be. I don't know. Everyone's different. I always, you know, listen to them and I I think about their own plan, right? Hmm. But, um, but yeah, so, like, look up that primer. uh, Look up those Rothbard books I mentioned. Um, What has government done to our money? Um, Economic depressions, their cause and cure. That's for, like, business cycle theory. Um, There's all sorts of, like, short Stuff that you can find online, like beginner stuff, like that. But Bob Murphy, his, his name is Robert P. Murphy, is like the full name, but his his, his, his name is Bob Murphy. Hmm. He wrote a textbook, also published by Museum Two, called Lessons for the Young Economist, and that's hmm. also free online. It's wow. for more like high school and earlier ages, like let's say like sixth grade to tenth grade range okay. or so. That that's the level. But how nowadays, I I, I use it sometimes anyway because like sure. I just assume no one knows anything, and it's like they, they build yeah. up step by step. So that's called Lessons for the Young Economist, and that, that's also a great like. It's literally structured like a textbook, but it's not written like a textbook. <laughs> so, okay. so it's structured like one, but it's it's like accessible, no math really, and you know it's just like, it's just verbal. Um, and then uh, yeah, other than that, um, from there you, you would take it from there and just keep looking at re- recommended readings from there. But that would be a good start. And then when when you eventually get to it, if you really are into what I'm talking about, this this Austrian approach to economics. Uh, you'll eventually get to Mises' human action which is like the masterpiece in our tradition. Okay. Uh, it was p- first published in 1949, but there's a 1998 version that's free on mises.org called the scholar's edition.
1: Why is so, everything free? This is Cuz
0: cuz it's, yeah, it's just the philosophy of education. So yeah. Wow. So that's why I, I recommend free stuff because like look like yeah. uh, if you don't know if you're going to be into it, like check it out and then if you're into it, if if you need structure, which I did. I needed the structure. Yeah. I was doing readings, but I would, you know, I would watch more videos or I would listen sure. to more podcasts, same as you're doing now, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, if I want my future to be dealing with these ideas, I need some structure. I need some guidance. So I went to George mm-hmm. Mason, and with some real pros. Uh, you know, Pete, yeah. Pete Becky is like he's really like good at this kind of academic uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I really learned from him and, and Chris Coyne, who, who himself was Pete Becky's student, and he's Chris Coyne's my dissertation advisor. So wow. it's kind of, I mean it, 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 we're like kind of like a, a family there in a sense, yeah. you know, everyone because it's a very unique place in a sense, and and since since um, Pete Becky has really like you know been at the program. Uh, his students have started to make programs also in the U S so Texas tech university has a program with Ben Powell. Now um, it's another good program for people. Um, it's in Lubbock, Texas. If people like, like to be in that okay. part of the world, yeah. um, they can go there. And, and there's more programs springing up here and there um, that that, mm. that that are available. But that's that again. That's if you want to go the PhD route, which I did. I, I yeah. want this really professional training. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I treated this whole PhD experience as more like professional training. Yeah. Rather, yeah. rather, because like I already knew a lot. I already read these books for like eight years or whatever. Yeah. But it was just a matter of like, how do I like, how do I write papers that get published? How do mm. I network with academics? How do it, it's more of like a professional mm-hmm. training. So, yes, so that's yeah. why if a student wants that, I, I tell them to do what I did and depending yeah. on what they're interested in, go with these people or those people or that, that or that.
1: Okay.
0: Um, and then for, for foreigners, I should say, for people who want to study in Europe, um, because the programs are different there, the PhD programs. So you don't have to do like, like my program in the US, I did like a master's on the way to the PhD. Yeah. I already had a master's before. So I, I was kind of, I doubled up with another master's just wow. to get the PhD in the US, you know? Okay. But if you go to France, there's a professor named Guido Holzman. He's, he's a German guy uh, teaching in France. Many of his students are my close friends. Hmm. They're excellent economists. Uh, he's, he's he's also an expert in Mises' thought. Um, if people want to go to an inexpensive, like, you know, it's like government subsidized mm-hmm. kind of French program, yeah. I think. Uh, it's in France. You need to have a master's in econ, though. But I believe you can get the master's at the Mises Institute oh. and then go to France if you want, right? Wow. But but if you're in the U.S. and you want to do a traditional program and you want the traditional training, you can do like what I did and go to like George Mason or, or these kind of okay. schools, right? So so that tends to be the advice I'll give to people if they hear about economics and get so passionate. But, um, but even if you don't, just read, read some basic stuff. Read Hazlitt, read Rothbard, read Bastiat, read Manger. Manger's not that hard to read if you read the principles of economics. It, it's mm. old, and, and Mises yeah. said it more developed, but
1: mm.
0: not, not that much more developed. Like Manger had most of it there. Mises just added more meat to the bones and like fixed a couple things here and there. Right? You can just read these for free online and, just, and become a smarter citizen. Yeah. And then go about your life in an educated way. And then, and then we started the conversation by you saying you're ignorant, but you won't be ignorant anymore. You can have an opinion and not be ignorant. So (laughs) it's even better than being ignorant, which is even better than being ignorant and having an opinion. Right. So, (laughs) so, so, so,
1: you know, when I was younger, I would, I was ignorant with an opinion. Sure. Yeah. No, Every, just, everyone is. Me too. I'm saying, yeah. No, I'm just ignorant. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's what you generally
0: grow into. You know, there, there's yeah. all, all sorts of expressions about that. You know? yep. um, but, but then, yeah, if you're interested in knowing more about what I've been talking about, then yeah, definitely just look at those resources. Um, and um, people can email me too. So my, my um, school email, which you can email about this kind of stuff with questions, would be like K-L-A-M-B-E-R-7 at gmu.edu that's my school email so if you want to email me a question the more personalized question uh, feel yeah. free and i'd be happy to cool. t- talk uh, i talk to past students all the time i have a zoom call for tonight with, with a student from a year ago awesome. that they, i just keep on top as i said like two or three person class and that's over over 20 years i'll have an army of, you know, yeah. <laughs> of uh, yeah, a lot of you yeah, know a lot of students ex-students that are interested so i, I just noticed that's the, that's the way to make it work you, you have to meet people where they are and like um yeah. you can't drag people kicking and screaming to economic yeah. literacy you have to you have to try to inspire them through mm. just saying this is important and this is why I love it, and then uh, see if they see if they like well, it. Well, I too. can
1: definitely tell you're very passionate yeah. about it because uh, we could go on for hours, and yeah. I, I could listen to you for hours. No thanks. I, I don't have a lot to to say other than yeah. wow. Well, at some point, I'd have to just
0: start giving my own lectures. You know, I'd have to get into yeah. philosophy of science and explain like this distinctive yeah. conception of science. You know, or talk about yeah. the boom cycle, this kind of thing. Or yeah, I, we didn't yeah. really get into alternative theories. I didn't really get to criticizing yeah. them, but you know, I think. I always teach my students correct, what I think is correct the first time. Uh, And then later I explain, there are other ways and I, I try to be honest in my portrayal, but I also tell them, this is why I think it's wrong. And I always say like, feel free to tell me Feel free to contradict me. Yeah. But then, like, you know, for your sake, you should probably like come prepared. You know, don't just like, you, you know. But I mean, I'm I'm gonna be friendly about it. But like, yeah. I've I've read this stuff a lot, so like, yeah. yeah. Um, so so don't don't just think just because you heard it on, on on CNN. Like, oh yeah, I can yeah. come up at and, least so, come yeah. armed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm, I'm very happy always. Like I say, like, look. On your exam, I ask these questions that might be open ended, but like you can give anything if the reasoning is tight. Like you're gonna get yeah. a good grade. But um, with that said, you know, I'm like I feel it's a disservice if I don't teach what I think is right. Because a, yeah. a lot of teachers, almost most teachers, I'm not, I, I don't know the percentage or whatever, you know, but a lot of people, even the ones I've talked to at my university, will be like, yeah, but it, it's bad to teach them something that maybe, like, for example, the next class they take won't be like that. And I'm like, well, for like, sure, if you're in that kind of situation and, like, literally the school tells you, like, you must teach these things, okay, like, mm-hmm. that's your job. Sorry, <laughs> that's like being a lawyer and dealing yeah. with a client yeah. or whatever. But when you're not, I, I think it's a disservice to not teach what you think is right because and then that gets back to my my dream model of education which Mm -hmm. is just like literally just like like street street corner preachers almost you know but but maybe within a more dignified setting but you know (laughs) but essentially the same type of thing is like you just you attract people as you you merit the the attraction basically um so um and and it's worked out somewhat for me so far you know i i only have a a year of evidence or so but students Mm. who those two or three per semester who really yeah. into it, they, they say, hey, like, tell me what you teach in the future. I'll always take your class. I'm like, hey, I'm wow. just I'm just a student teacher. You know, yeah. a, I don't have much power and I don't have many different courses, but uh, just getting that kind of feedback is really refreshing because it, yeah. it, it gives me some motivation to be like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm two people at a time, three people at a time. Yeah. You never know what they're going to do next. Mm. And, and, you know, Manger couldn't have known that I was going to get inspired by his work or Mises, no idea, right? Yeah. They, they, they were depressed in their lifetimes and they thought the world was, and the world did end, like two world wars were horrible in their lifetimes. Yeah, you know? Mises yeah. had to like literally flee the Europe, you know, to, to, to New York, you know, and, and Manger just kind of went to a cottage and just lived out his life reading anthropology books and, and economics and just being sad That's because depressing. they were all wrong about everything and he was right, you know? <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so like, uh, so that knowing their historical experiences armed me to not expect too much day to day. It's more just like you know planting seeds and just yeah. nothing else you can really do. Like um, M- Mises even said this in his memoirs, which were very dour memoirs because he wrote it as he's on the boat fleeing, fleeing Europe, you know, in, in World War II, and uh, he basically wrote like I faced the same quandary that my professors, you know, Menger and, and Baumolberg faced, hmm. but I decided to keep fighting because what else could I do? <laughs> like, but, and I think even like Jordan Peterson talked about that in one of his. He says like, look, like when you're feeling bad it's fine to feel bad, yeah. but like, what, what else are you going to do with your life? Like, you, yeah. what, like really like, and that kind of hit home to me independently of my own economic yeah. hero. So it's like, yeah, like you, you, you have a, you do have a choice and, and like, yeah. take your, take your own agency back and like, even if you don't expect anything good to happen, hmm. doing nothing will make it happen. Right. So like, yeah. uh, do do your best, just do, do your best well, and, and, and try.
1: And, it's like that person who says like, you know, I'm 50 years old. I'm thinking of going to college to get a degree in, you know, art, you know, but it's going to take four years, and the mm-hmm. the answer is like, oh, I'm paraphrasing. Like, well, how old are you going to be in four years, whether you do it or whether you don't, mm-hmm. right? So, might as well try to put something positive into the world, right?
0: If if what you're going to get out of the degree is is good, and if yeah. you couldn't do it without the degree, for sure, yeah, That yeah. shouldn't, yeah, shouldn't you shouldn't be held down by this idea of like, oh, it's worthless, I'm worthless, nothing's gonna yeah. work. So, so yeah, just just being willing to accept short term. Like as I said, my 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 approach of economics is not dominant it's not mm. popular right um when it's admitted it's it's like usually mocked among like the the, the, the high rollers in the economics profession you know um mm. the people who staff the, the government agencies and stuff you know yeah they kind of they laugh and poo-poo and they, they don't really deeply understand but they wouldn't because the whole approach that you're taught economics nowadays yeah. for for a 100 years has been so messed up from my opinion that yeah. that you you wouldn't you don't you even thinking this counterfactual way and this, this different philosophy of science yeah. way it's like uh that you have to start there. You can't just start like with what is money. You have to like, hold on. Like our understanding of what money is starts from like, wh- what is truth? Like, like how, do like what is something, what is a thing <laughs> before you yeah. know, like what is a concept? What, how do concepts yeah. interact? What is causation? <laughs> this stuff matters. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's why they, they kind of think it's crazy. They think it's like the scholastic thing. And it is because actually, because the, 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 historical, uh, tie can go back to Spanish scholastic monks, hmm. like, like Catholic monks in, in like, you know, France and Spain and stuff. Hmm. Uh, doing this kind of work and kind of, because they they said, hey, like God made the world good and we want to understand, like God endowed us with like a brain to understand the world and and it's our imperative, it's our duty to like understand the way things really are and just wanted uh, to know the way things really are is like the key. That's, that's what Menger wanted. Yeah. That's why he turned to that approach too. Like, why are things the way they are?
1: Yeah. And,
0: and, and not just the way people say they are. Don't just stay at the yeah. level of like the, the names. Like, get, get drilled down more, you know? Uh, and, and really, like, what is the essence of things? What, 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 what is, you know, what is going on here? Like, what, what, what is uh, this?
1: And it takes some clarity of thought
0: it's very hard and and, yeah. and a lot of people hate it because they're like look no one has answers and like people have been people have been talking about this forever philosophers have said all this stuff we can go through yeah. all these different philosophers and so let's just focus only on the measurable and that's where this came from right uh, but the issue is you can't get away from this you can't get away from these fundamental questions all you're doing is you're just thinking you're just not thinking of them but implicitly uh, you're re- you you are these 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 what we call it, positivism yeah. they are representing a metaphysical meta uh, sorry metaphysical position okay without Admitting it, basically. Okay. So, so this whole view, um, and this is one of my hobby horses, and it was, it was Mises as well. It was his final book. was about logical positivism, uh, about why it's wrong, and about the actual epistemological foundation of science, of economics. Mm. The view, this view is like represented by like Karl Popper, and it's the kind of thing you hear often, and you've, you've seen it even among our friend groups, where it's like, mm. uh, if something is not falsifiable, mm. then it, it's not scientific. It's not, it's not a meaningful statement uh. about the world, right? So, so saying a bachelor's unmarried male, that's fine, but that's just how you play with words. That's okay. a tautology, right? They yeah. use this word tautology as a smear. Um, whereas what we're, t- what we're dealing with is science. We're doing experiments and you can, you can say, hey, if I cre- increase the money supply, what, what, how does the price of eggs change? Yeah. And I could see with my eyes how the yeah. price of eggs change, right? Yeah. But, but the issue is, as we were going into earlier, is like it doesn't mean anything if you see the price. It, it means something, but you don't to know what it means, you have to have a theoretical presupposition already. You have to know how things co- relate conceptually, okay. right? To even know, like, okay, eggs are an economic good, Uh, Money is the general medium of exchange, and then when you da da da, um, we have to look historically. Did the demand for money increase? Did the you know what what happened? Right? You always have to go out and see what changed. But those concepts themselves are are before,
1: Hmm.
0: before the observation. Right? They're true. They're true regardless. So, and and, and Mises pointed out about positivism. He he just simply he said that statement itself that something that is not falsifiable is not a scientific statement. That statement itself is not falsifiable. Right. So, 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 so is that statement itself that yeah. only falsifiable statements are scientific is that falsifiable in which case it's scientific according to their own view yeah. or is it non-falsifiable in which case we can just let it aside right? so, so it's a self-defeating proposition right? but, but ironically it's the dominant way of looking at the world today
1: uh, so so
0: yeah. So, like, this is the stuff I get really jazzed about this philosophy of science stuff which gets out of raw economics and gets into yeah. philosophy right? but it's all very important you can't do science without philosophy basically you can mm. but like there's always philosophy going on behind behind what you're doing. So it's, okay. been, uh, it's been unfortunate. There's been practical gains from this very increased specialization and hyper-mathematization. you know mathematization. Yeah. There have been gains in, like, physical sciences, like physics and chemistry and biology. There's been, like, we use computers and we have planes. Yeah. We, we have all sorts of stuff. We can see those things, right? But people poo-poo economics. Cause like, well, what are the gains? And, and they're right to do so because you can't just port that method into economics. The method of economics is philosophical. Uh. It's, not, it's not experimental, you know?
1: Yeah, so we can see, like, yeah, we, we started with the Wright Brothers, you know, got yeah, uh, did this jet airplanes. To do this. Yeah, now yeah. we have NASA and SpaceX right. going to the moon, going to Mars. But in economics, can we really see that progression, right?
0: Yeah, it's like we have human society, and then, like, we see yeah. human society. We see humans doing this or that, and we see yeah. what we see in the world. But, like, why what we see in the yes. world happen was it because the government was so benevolent and all wise and all knowing and all powerful that they produced this wealth or was mm. it just humans trading according to the law of association yeah according to private property in exchange for money right yeah. um so what was it and th- there's no way to dispute that by looking into the world <laughs> you you can only dispute that theoretically right Other, otherwise yeah. people can just come up with any any theory they want about anything right yeah um and and, and testing testing was meaningless like you, there's, it's meaningless to test whether we both benefit from a voluntary exchange like by the meaning of the word like <laughs> what we're talking about we both benefit right yeah if right. we had a
1: voluntary exchange then we, we both benefit must yeah. have benefited but, but yeah. it, that's also
0: not a t- it, it's a tautology in a sense but it's not meaningless it's meaningful because uh-huh. benefiting is meaningful like what? humans. Yeah. Like we're humans. We're living in a human world and we want human prosperity. Yeah. That's not, it's, it's not meaningless. It, 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 yeah, it's not meaningless to say that we know that trade is better than no trade if you want prosperity. Yeah. That's a very meaningful statement, even though it's a tautology. So M- Mises says in human action, like, yes, all... All economic theorems are, quote, tautologies. That doesn't mm. mean they're meaningless, right? So, so this uh, is a, a completely distinct view of science than the modern, like, positivist approach, what it's called. It, it, it's a type of empiricism, you know, like, okay. where, where it's like only what you see is what matters, not, not yeah. you can't just sit in your armchair. And like Mises said, no, literally, you could just sit in your armchair. Like, of course, it helps to go out into the world. Sure. But, like, you could just sit in the armchair and, like, think of money. It's 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 hard to do that. It's easier when you're in the world and you're trading with yeah. people, right? But everything that's true in economics, according to Mises and me and Menger and these people, yeah. you can just like sit in your armchair and like so and, like it doesn't reason it out. Yeah,
1: require an experiment or it doesn't. No require, experiment. Yeah,
0: it does yeah. require some empirical like uh, like assumptions that like there yeah. are a variety of things in the world. Like as okay. I said, like the benefit of exchange occurs when there's yeah. no variety of things. Or like for example, the, the the law, the economic laws dealing with money, are irrelevant in a world where there's no money. Because like, true. hey, if there's no money, it doesn't matter what would happen if the money supply increased because there's no money. <laughs> What's the difference, right? But that doesn't mean they're wrong.
1: They're still uh-huh. true.
0: So what, what I said about the counterfactual relationship between the quantity of money and the, and the, the prices of goods, right? Yeah. The, the, the accurate to say is the purchasing power of money. You know, so yeah. the purchasing power of money will decrease the greater the supply of money, all else equal, right? Hmm. Uh, that's true regardless of whether there's money. It, it, wow. it, it, it's, it's just it's just fun to say. It, it, it's true, but it's, it's meaningless because it's not it's not sound in a world without money, but it's valid. It's, mm. it's a logically valid argument, but it's not sound because our world does not, let's say it doesn't have money, in which case, it, it's not really going to be much use to be like, hey, Crusoe, if you yeah. increase the money supply, uh, <laughs> the purchasing power will decrease counterfactually. Yeah. He's like, all right, I'm, I'm focused on catching fish, so yeah. see you later, right? Uh, but but that doesn't mean it's wrong. So that that, that gets into its truth, right? Like what is truth, and mm-hmm. is it true before observation? And I, I say yes, right? Okay. <laughs> so that's that, that's the key. But but it's still in the world. It's still relevant to the yeah. factual empirical world, right? So it doesn't mean we're anti like. World, are not anti-empirical yeah, yeah. in a broad sense, but we're anti-this empirical method of economic science, you know, okay. and and social sciences. So yeah, so there's plenty of plenty of threads to go off of there for interested listeners. But yeah, it's, absolutely. But, yeah.
1: So once again, mises.org.
0: Mises.org is a place to see some of my works and all these free PDFs and all sorts of great okay. writers. Um, David Gordon has a lot of great stuff on this philosophy of science stuff. So okay. um, you can look up David Gordon. He he was a friend of Rothbard's. Um, and then you know, Rothbard himself wrote on this and Hopper wrote on this as well and there's all sorts of articles on, on philosophy of science stuff very varying levels of I, I, I recommend just Mises to be honest like to be the best statement Okay. mises is human action theory and history and ultimate foundations of economic science his last three major books are yeah. where he really gets into this philosophy of science stuff okay but his followers since then have always talked about parts of it and yeah. and guido holzman even the guy i mentioned as the professor in france he he's yeah. written some great articles on the counterfactual that are free on mises.org okay so you, you could just you can just spend your whole year just like looking at pdfs there and awesome. yeah and um yeah so like and, and then my, my university is george mason and um but before I came to Japan full time, when I was still kind of, you know, before the COVID days, hmm. uh, I was in the Hayek program there. So a lot of the professors that I'm, I, I associate with, are in the Hayek program. So students can check that out if they're in, into okay. that kind of thing. Um, and
1: uh, your email once again?
0: Yeah. Uh, my, my, I'll, I'll just get my school email. You, you can find my, like, page both on Mises.org and on Mercatus. The Mercatus Center is where I get my, like, fellowship from my university. Okay. Um and uh, you can see my profiles there, and you can see my email there. You can okay. the, the contact me's are different because I have different, like, profiles in sure. the two different, you know. Uh, but um, uh, the, the email for my academic stuff I tend to use is my my George Mason University email address. It's like K-L-A-M-B-E-R-7 at gmu.edu. Okay. So, yeah, K-Lamber, because my name is Karis Lambert, So It's K-Lamber okay. without the T, seven. Seven. <laughs> for okay. some reason, they gave me seven. Sure. Um, lucky number seven, I guess. I think <laughs> for
1: law school, I was, like, green W. Five six or something. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I, I still was, remember my undergrad one. I still, yeah. I still use the code for things. But I, I,
1: I can't say it because you can access. Sure, it. sure. <laughs> but, sure. Yeah. But, anyway, yeah. Yeah, but that was my, my email address. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. Yeah. But yeah. they use it for everything. They use it. Yeah. yeah, for him. yeah. Yep. For sure. And then uh, it was my student ID. I think. Yes, yeah. 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 But um, and I, I gave out a false one. That's not my real one. exactly. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not like, gonna say um, my real one. <laughs> no. And then, do you do any other social media like Twitter?
0: Uh, I I, I don't use those kind of things. Yeah, I just use... I mean, we talk on Telegram and stuff, and um, I'll I'll give a shout-out to Session... Uh, it's like a very decentralized uh, uh, chatting yeah. app. It's not, uh, there's still, you know, growing pains with how it works, but it's more the nature of the technology. And it, over time, it's getting better. And uh, we use it for our, you know, Bitcoin Cash stuff. So, yep. yeah, if you come down to Tokyo, you can come to our Bitcoin Cash meetups on Wednesdays. So, I'll give a shout yep. out to them and Big V, our organizer. Yep. I'll, I'll leave him anonymous for right now. Yes. just call him um, V. Yeah, yeah, Big V. And um, yeah, yeah uh, they can reach out to me for info on that if they're in the Tokyo area or want to stop cool. through and if they're if they're crypto people. But um, yeah, uh, otherwise, yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm not on Facebook anymore and uh might be tough otherwise. Email is the best and, you know, otherwise just those kind of more more private apps to varying degrees. That's yep. <laughs> yes. yep. what I'm using nowadays. And those are more messaging, right? Like yeah, end, more encryption. messaging, yeah. yeah. So, so if I get email first, then we can talk on whatever. But, cool, yeah, cool,
1: yeah. right. And for this show, uh, Weekly Fascination is... Uh, on i'll just put links in the show notes cool yeah. and and just you know maybe shoot me an email or telegram message i can put some stuff in the show yeah notes i can send well, you yeah.
0: the stuff we talked about or at least awesome. the, the, the major ones i talked about Not, i, I mentioned a bunch Not of things which yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, would well, be a little too much but yeah.
1: part of part of the fun of listening to a podcast is to say like hey what did Karis say about that you know what what pamphlet should i read and they go back and listen to it and then they go look it up yeah yeah right i mean i don't think that uh Sure it's great to give show notes but but also like if people are really that interested they're going to they're going to yeah, pause I, I think so, look yeah. it up yeah. and and go yeah, for it. Yeah. So hey man thanks a million yep. is no, there anything yeah, else we're forgetting or anything no, you want to no, add?
0: No 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 yeah there's no,
1: um, I really appreciate it. Covered I,
0: covered a lot of stuff randomly yeah. in my in my haphazard style you no, know. No no it was great <laughs> yeah, right. and
1: I think one thing I think that good thinking does for people is it gives them a springboard. Mm-hmm. People listen to something you say and say I yeah. want to learn more about that.
0: This, yeah 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 it matters and there's a whole different approach to thinking even like do do, do you have foundational thinking that builds or is it just like haphazard stuff right so mises was very critical of like modern economics which i am too it's just it's random like labor economics health economics airline economics developing economics like Mm. it's just like whatever all these classes right but for for the austrian point of view the misesian point of view it's like it's a unified science you can't be good at like labor economics whatever that means Mm. without knowing economics like you need to know economics and then you and then it's just a special application to like labor issues or whatever if you Uh, if you want to explain like why did employment go down or something that's not a, a narrowly labor economics question that's a broad economic question question, yeah you need to know you 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 can't be a specialist in economics you have to be a generalist Mm. so that's not popular nowadays so uh that's why it's a little bit tougher to get these jobs because they they ask for like macro economists on banking only or whatever it's like hey i can i can teach banking i do all the time but i'm not i don't look like a specialist in banking i look like this generalist
1: Uh. so i so i don't
0: i just i just don't look as good as someone who like did their phd with like the the ex-banking chair of the committee and Uh. and publish their everything books on this you know it, it like it just looks different because the whole yeah. view of what science is what economics is is different uh, so that's kind of the uphill battle you face when you're like a paradigm away <laughs> from yeah. the modern paradigm yeah but um yeah. as i said before nothing to do but just keep keep going and uh it, Absolutely. it's dis- dispiriting sometimes but uh it's also fun you, you feel like you're doing something worthwhile if, if it's what you believe is true which i do you know so
1: and also like you know it's it's so taxing and so difficult and so burdensome to do something you don't believe in.
0: Yeah, I, that that was what I believed. I mean, yeah, I discovered that myself. I had a moment when I was in college, I believe it might have even been high school, where I I, I thought to myself, hey, it seems to be the case that if I like kind of uh, compromise and if I if yeah. I if I if I don't really like exert myself in my my own brain, I could like get along fine without like doing much work. I could yeah. just, like I was like addicted to video games as a kid. So I'm like I could just like, play games and like just yeah. do whatever and like punch it in nine to five. Okay. Yeah. And I thought like well do I really respect myself for that? And I was like, no, yeah. like I, I'm going and to, and I decided like, even if it's inconvenient or uncomfortable or whatever, I'm just going to hold to what I believe is true. Mm. Chips fall where they may. And of course I'm open to like, you know, revising what I think is true. I'm always, sure, I'm always sure. trying to learn more. Um, but uh, yeah, with that said, at any given moment, if, if I'm, if it's not what I believe, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to like compromise yeah. my integrity. Um, it's just not it's not worth it to me mm. uh, I can't really look at myself <laughs> and it, it's not it's not the path I wanted to go down yeah. so I made that choice somewhat early even before I learned about this economic stuff uh, and I think that's that's part of why I went down this journey when you, when you really care about the truth you you don't really you don't care about what's fashionable or what's popular you just yeah. you zero in and you that, don't care what happened, about yeah. what's
1: expedient yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I mean it, yeah. It, it, it matters all else equal if like if you can be truthful and expedient that's nice sure, <laughs> sometimes yeah. but uh, you know it's, it's nice not to suffer it doesn't yeah. mean you have to like be on a bullhorn like all the time to be annoying yeah yeah you, you could pick your battles but at least don't misrepresent yourself you know exactly. like uh, if you're just gonna if you're gonna uh, keep your powder dry that that's one thing that's that's yeah. kind of a, a you know maneuvering tactical issue right sure you don't you don't have to be the loudest one in every room yelling yeah. that they're all stupid or something right mm. but at the same time if you're asked your opinion you should uh, cal- you calibrate your answer to the audience but don't 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 compromise you know Absolutely. M- Mises hated nothing more. He didn't talk to one of his prize students for like years because he he dumbed he compromised what he was saying about the gold standard. He, uh, yeah, his wow. name was Fritz Machlup. Yeah, there's a long story. He's a great economist, a great guy, Machlup. He was very yeah. nice to Mises, very good person. Huh. But but M- Mises was very serious about this too. He said he felt he compromised, and he had, he had no respect for him cut for a him couple of years. Yeah, he just cut him off for a while. And it took so it took Mises' wife to talk. He was very intransigent like that. He was. Oh you know, my gosh. Enemies hated him. Friends loved him. Kind of guy. And friends hated him if, if he hated him. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but I respect that. You know, I never met him, and who knows maybe. He, Maybe it would hate me. Who knows? But uh, wow. I, I respect him, and he's one of my models. You know. So
1: yeah. yep. to thine own self be true.
0: Yeah, and, and and I'll just close, I guess, with with Mises, Mises adopted this as his own expression. Uh, he, he from from Virgil's Aeneid, and uh, the, the Latin translation would be: "Do not give in to evil, but proceed ever more boldly against it." And actually, the word evil in, in Latin, it's more like bad things, misfortune, bad tidings. Like it could be evil things that were yeah. done to you. But it's just like, don't give in to misfortune. Just keep, keep going. Yeah. So, so that, that's kind of the through line, I guess. It's just like, no matter what you think is right, just go, go for your passion and like, keep going. And uh, Awesome. And ho- hopefully end up in a good place. And even if you don't, uh, you tried. Yeah. And not, not, nothing else you could have done at that point, right? That's the counterfactual, right, yeah. you, you don't know. And, you don't know, uh, yeah, right? it could have been worse. True.
1: Well, that's a perfect way to end <laughs> this. Thank yep, yep, you. Yep, of course, yeah. <laughs> All so, right.
0: Yep, thanks. Thank you.